Hey everyone, welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. The Darkcast is a discussion about video games and the culture that surrounds them. The show is divided up into multiple conversations between myself and the various writers here on Darkstation.com. This episode actually marks something new that we're doing for 2020, and that is a Games of the Decade discussion. So, it's 2020, we're looking at games from 2010 through 2019, and we're going to be talking about some of our favorites in that time period. There's no voting, there's no list, this is just us celebrating some of our favorite games. In section 1, I talk with David Silbert about Last Window, The Secret of Cape West. In section 2, I talk with Alan Kessinger about Cuphead. In section 3, Lauren Clark joins us for the first time to talk about Animal Crossing New Leaf. And in section 4, I talk with Alex Mateo about Super Mario Odyssey. You can find exact timestamps for each section as well as more information about the things that we discuss below in the description on YouTube or in the show notes for this episode, which you can find on darkstation.com. There you can also find the Darkcast Interviews podcast as well as video game reviews, previews, and features. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com, find us on Facebook, check us out on YouTube, and email us at podcast at darkstation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. And welcome back to the Darkcast. Uh, I've been meaning to start what we're about to do for like three months, and we're finally doing it. But hey, we've got the rest of the year. Uh, so that is a Games of the Decade talk. Uh, several years ago, uh, this was, I think, uh, joining me on the show today is David Silbert. How you doing, David? I'm doing well, Jonathan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, so several years ago, we did a Games of the Generation discussion, mm. uh, kind of capping off the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 era, and um, we did several long roundtable discussions, and we talked, everybody did like their own personal top uh, 50 list, and I collated that into like a site-wide top 50 list, and it was crazy. Um and being 2020 now, uh, which I guess, you know, technically maybe we shouldn't do this until next year, 2021, but screw that. Um, we're going 2010 to 2020. We're talking about some of our favorite games from the past 10 years, but we're not doing big roundtable discussions. We're not doing big lists. I think I'm over-ranking things. I just want to talk about cool games. So that is what we are here to do. Mm. And you are taking us all the way back to like the beginning of the decade yeah uh with a ds game so uh what are we here to talk about yeah so uh you know when i was thinking about the games that i wanted to talk about i had a short list but i to your point i wanted to definitely start off with something that just touches the beginning uh, of this decade because i think it's it's a little poetic if you will Uh, but this game is last window the secret of cape west as you said it is a nintendo ds game um 
a little bit of background on this game. It is the sequel to a different, uh, another DS game called uh, Hotel Dusk Room 215. Both games are, I guess I would describe them, they're adventure games slash point and clicks um, that, for those that might be familiar with either title, uh, involve rotating the DS sideways, so like 90 degrees, so you're viewing it like a book. I'm sure we'll touch on that a little more later, but um, yeah, this. so this is one, the sequel here uh, came out in 2010. It notably only came out in Japan and Europe. Uh, it was developed by Sing, published by Nintendo. Sing is now defunct. Uh, they basically are best known, they've done a few things here or there, but they're best known for these kind of noir, hard-boiled adventure games slash point-and-clicks, notably on the handhelds, on Nintendo handhelds. And, um, yeah, this is the second and, and I guess, only, uh, like, the the second and final, if you will, uh, game in this entry. Uh, it doesn't really have, like, a series name. I just kind of refer to them as the, as the Hotel Dust series or the Kyle Hyde, who's the protagonist, the Kyle Hyde mm-hmm. games. Okay. But um, yeah, basically the premise of either game is you play as Kyle Hyde, this um, ex-police officer turned detective. It's not, he's not like, a, he's a bit of a PI, but he works as a salesperson trying to find like odds and ends, like trying, I guess the way he describes it is I'm I'm trying to find things that don't want to be found. And so he kind of goes from place to place, almost like a vagabond kind of like where he's needed and um, trying to snoop up like clues and, and figure out like what's going on, discover parts of his own past um, parts of um, you know, uh, parts, parts of the past that's related to his time back at the, back in the force. Um, okay. I should say that the setting is LA like 1980s LA. The first game took place in 1979. The sequel takes place a year later, 1980. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to dance around the, the specifics of the original hotel dust just because I don't want to like give away the ending for anyone who hasn't played it. But um Basically, the first game takes place in a in a hotel, more like a motel, very dilapidated, rundown, kind of grimy place where uh, he's trying to uh, look into the disappearance disappearance of his old partner when he was on the force, and so he's kind of uh, kind of ingraining himself, immersing himself within this hotel and talking to the denizens of of Hotel Dusk, and um, it's just it runs the gamut of like uh, there's like the kind of old uh, proprietor, his name's like Dunning, you've got the maid, you've got kind of the loudmouth, wise-ass, like, janitor. Uh, you've got uh, you've got several different guests. Like, you've got older people that are just kind of like, maybe they're just winding down on their on their lives. And, and for whatever reason, their cross are all path, passing together in this hotel. Um, you've got younger kids. And he's basically, Kyle Hyde, it's, it's very much of like a slow burn of a game where you're you're knocking on doors at the hotel, you're you're asking questions, inquiring about the whereabouts of people that you're looking for, you're finding evidence, you're you're exploring the hotel and trying to discover its secrets. And now in Last Window, it's a similar kind of setup, uh, except now uh, you are not you're in an apartment building that you live in. Uh, it used to be a hotel. It's called uh, it used to be Hotel Cape West, and now it's this Cape West apartment suite complex. And uh, very, very similarly, you're knocking on doors, you're talking to the your neighbors this time around, and you're inquiring into a different kind of mystery that links back to the original games, like in some some interesting ways, but very much is its own tale, um, and and even more so, kind of delving into Kyle Hyde's past and and um, specifically his relationship with his father. 
Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so when I got my DS, which I, a lot of times I get consoles and things, like, yeah. not necessarily after their prime time, yeah. but after when most other people have kind of already picked them up, and um, I was trying to figure out what all games, you know, really wanted to get for the for the DS, and this was one that kept popping up on mm. my uh, hotel desk, obviously, right, because right. The, um, Last Window never actually came out in the U.S., uh, but that was one that like always kind of came up on lists of like top games, um, either on just you know lists that people had made themselves, or if you just aggregated a list by like review scores and stuff like that. Right. Um, but I don't know. It just always seemed odd and not like something that I wanted to play. <clears throat> totally. uh, which I mean, that was ten, fifteen years ago. <clears throat> Yeah, I, that I probably didn't want to play it then. I might now because just you know sensibilities change and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I guess well, first, just random question. Yeah. Um, do you have to have a special DS to play the game, or is it no. un- region unlocked? So you oh, okay. The- yeah. So so I will say yeah right. So obviously the um, the base game anyone. Can obviously play that, and and I will note that that game is very easy to find. Like I've I've walked into you know my local games up every now and again. I'm like, oh, it's another copy of Hotel Dust because, <laughs> you know, it's more of a niche title. I, I feel like that's no secret. Um, you know, for me, it's I have just like a deep appreciation for noir fiction, hard boiled like, um, books and movies. I love you know anything like Raymond Chandler and um, uh, you know Double Indemnity the movie. So, mm, but movie. right, a lovely movie. Uh, you know not. Again, it's a it's a bit of um, not that it's not a popular genre, but it's it's definitely not like it's understandable why a point and click noir game uh, by kind of a small uh, developer on a DS platform might be on store shelves and and kind of gathering up dust. But uh, as for Last Window, yes, uh, you can totally import it. What I did was I imported it from I imported a, an EU version. The DS is unlocked, so you can just play it. Um, okay. I actually ended up getting a second. I have two copies of the game too because I, I studied abroad in Paris years back, and uh, and I remember going to one of their game shops and I saw it and I was like, I I know I already own it. I have to have it, you know, because you never know when the apocalypse. You know, you never know when you'll lose one. Not enough. But uh, the game meant so much to me. I was like, you know what? I'm just who knows when I'm ever going to be able to import another copy. Let me get that. But um, I feel like. Hopefully, I hope the price hasn't you know skyrocketed just because it's not like they're printing more. But um, if you can right. find one on eBay, I mean, now that you know people that maybe have already imported it, maybe it's circulating here in the U.S. Like, I totally recommend uh, people go and go and find it, seek it out. Um, and if not, I imagine I don't know. I don't know anything about kind of like DS files or ROMs or anything. I don't know if there's any other way to access it. Um, you know, now that the studio's defunct, and I feel like at this point we're just dealing with used copies of the game, and you know nothing new. And I, I see, disappointingly, that I don't think Nintendo intends to capitalize on on this great series in the future. Though I'd love a, a remaster of sorts on the on the Switch. I think would be awesome. But mm. yeah, wherever you can wherever you can find it, get your hands on it. I totally recommend it. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Um, so that that was actually just kind of a, a side question, but yeah. uh, the other one is like I guess. What really stands out about these two games? Yeah, uh, I would assume it's the story, but <laughs> yeah, no, you can't you don't want to say too much about the story sure. without spoiling things? Yeah, um, but I can. And being the type of title, you know, yeah. this might be something that people haven't heard of and mm. you know want to go check out. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing is like, why Last Window and not 
Hotel Dusk as kind of the game that that you want to talk about. So. Sure. I mean, so it, it is kind of like a a weird, <laughs> a little bit of a loophole because I I um so Hotel Dusk came out in 2007. Last window came out in 2010. Um, Ooh, well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, so so <laughs> that's so it's it's my way of talking about the two of them <laughs> together. Uh, to me, they they both have their own um appeal. I mean, you definitely hit the nail on the head. It's uh it's definitely the story. Uh, there's there's some other parts of the game. I, I think probably the the common thread whenever someone reviewed like you, you'll you'll be able, you'll be able to find like a good amount of Hotel Dust reviews just because it was more widely circulated. And um, I think the common uh, gripe that people will have with the game is typically around the pacing or the gameplay. So um, it's a it's a about like a fifteen twenty hour game, like sizable. Think like you know not unlike if you were just going to sit down with a book with a with a nice kind of hard you know hard boiled book and read that cover to cover uh it requires a lot of time just kind of going through text boxes talking to people it's not like a visual novel like i really wouldn't call it a visual novel because you do you're walking around this hotel basically as you hold your ds it's open again you hold it like a book so one screen's on the left and one's on the right uh basically on one side depending on how you're holding it you have a map uh, it's like a top-down map, almost showing kind of the the layout of the hotel. So it'll be like very bare bones, like you know, a circle to to denote where you are, and maybe an arrow to denote where you're facing. And then you can see it's almost like looking at a map, a map of the different floors of the hotel. And so you're navigating that. And on the, on the other side, it shows you <laughs> really, really again dilapidated, like just kind of muddy, kind of nasty visuals. I don't know if it was a combination of just like a poor, a bad engine or like this, you know, sing the studio. I, I, I think it's intentional though. I think, I think sing wanted to really, um, the developers wanted to strike home this idea of like, you are in this really rundown, muddy, nasty hotel in the case of hotel dusk and also the apartment, um, in last window. But there is a, like, there's a visual appeal too, because you'll be walking around the, uh, the, these environments and you'll see almost like, um, almost like a pop-up, you know, if you have like a pop-up, um, like a, let's say you have like a sports pop-up, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Like one of the, I'm forgetting the word now, kind of like those big life-size stand, like cutouts of people. Okay. That's kind of how it appears. So you see the people just kind of pop up on the map as you're walking and, mm. but there's this very distinct visual styles called like rotoscoping i don't know if, if like for for mm-hmm. the our people out there it's your rotoscoping is i think it's like very um individual like hand-drawn sketches that kind of if you sketch a lot of them together or you use computers to kind of feed them together they be, they make this really interesting uh kind of comic book style where they're like very wild, like animated so there's basically this really interesting um, duality or, or like comparison between these muddy visuals and these really like lively um, comic book esque characters, and so the the characters really pop in the game. Like they look awesome. Uh, this is like you'll never see any kind of like character animation in in a game like this like elsewhere. Okay. So so in addition, like the narrative is is incredible, but I love the fact that the game really ties you in there also with like it's a game ultimately about characters and character development. Um, and, and it just happens to take place in this secluded setting. And so I think they do a really nice job visually of showing that. Okay. Um, and then also they, uh, the composer, which I pulled up his name here, 
Uh, the composer for both games, his name is Satoshi Okubo. He has an excellent soundtrack for either game. Uh, just There are these MIDI files, kind of, again, with this idea of, like, very bare bones, like, um, <clears throat> kind of, you know, you have the muddy visuals, and then you have these MIDI files that could, you'd figure they could run on, like, a, a toaster or whatever. You know, like, they're just, like, they're not super advanced kind of music files. Um, they're not like super complex melodies, but they're really, uh, they're really engaging. Like think like smooth jazz, but with a little more bite. And, um, it's just like, there's a lot of emotion displayed in, in the visuals, in the music of, 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 uh, last window secret of Cape West. And, uh, it shows the route from start to finish of its 15 hour run. And, um, it just sets you up for like just an incredible adventure. And, um, and, and that's displayed through, all aspects of the game when you're talking to the different characters and like, you know, you've, you've got yourself on a hot piece of evidence and you're cornering someone in an interrogation and like some like really kind of intense music pops up and, and they're showing like a vivid expression on their face. It's just like, it all ties together quite nicely. Um, so I think that, I think that audio visual, uh, audio visual experience, that's like, that's totally like half of it. Um, you know, it's just not just the storytelling. It's, it's really an experience that, that, it's the th- that is what separates it from being merely like why don't why wouldn't you just pick up a book huh you know like why wouldn't you just pick right, up a book right, and right. read like if you're really a fan of hard boiled why wouldn't you just read like a Raymond Chandler book and I think that would be Singh's Singh's response to that hmm. interesting um so uh, a couple of questions yeah. thoughts uh, and hopefully don't get too sidetracked that I forget some of them sure one uh, about the animation yeah so rotoscoping is the the process of tracing over like live action stuff to create mm. the animation. Yeah. From what you were saying, it sounded more almost like a flip book style animation. Mm. Yeah. What I'm just trying to, to get a, a yeah, picture. Yeah. And I guess I could pull up a trailer or something like that. There, but if somebody's yeah. listening to this while driving, uh, <laughs> they, they need word yeah. pictures too. So. Sure. <laughs> uh, no, so they do describe it as rotoscoping. So maybe I okay. just did a bad job of, of explaining it. Um, there is like an excellent... I will say that for for people listening, there's an excellent video on on the art of Hotel Dusk of the original game, actually, where they go into the rotoscoping. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call, it, yeah, I wouldn't call it a flip book, but then again, that wouldn't be like the the like that wouldn't be too far off. Um, it very much is like all the. Um, this is one thing I forgot to say is so so the environments are all in color, but the character animations are all black and white. And it does have that kind of sketch sketchbook feel where it's like mm. uh, basically like they're moving and um, you can almost like kind of spot the individual frames, but uh, kind of the, the sketch around them is always kind of fuzzy and moving about. So that's that I think is kind of where the rotoscoping uh, plays a part there where it does feel kind of very fluid. So it doesn't it doesn't feel so staticky that it would be like a flip book. OK, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah I'm having trouble just, you know, I'm, I'm not much of an artist myself, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just, it's a very distinct style that I think lends it well, lends itself very well to this kind of game. Okay. Very cool. Um, so the other question that I had was yeah. more, you, you were talking about kind of interrogating and the, the music mm. popping up and just kind of having a very visceral reaction to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, is it a straightforward game in terms of narrative or mm. do you have dialogue options? Yeah. Are there different endings? Mm-hmm. Do you have control over that, or is it? How does that yeah. work out? Yeah, so I would say for the most part, it's a pretty linear game in the sense that uh, there it's broken up into chapters, and 
each chapter has you kind of uncovering a different part of this larger uh, narrative mystery. And there are like, there are dialogue options. There are like areas where most of the time it's like, if you basically the, like the game is kind of broken up into, I wouldn't call them phases, but basically there's a lot of like exploration, like looking around the apartment complex in the case of, in the case of last window, uh, look around the, uh, the apartment complex, Maybe, like, explore, like, rundown rooms where no one's staying. You might find, like, a clue, like, a briefcase with some some materials in it. Eventually, you kind of get enough stuff that you're able to uh, go back to... Well, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. You can talk to some... You can talk to some people in their apartment buildings where you're, like, knocking on the door. You're talking to them. Maybe you introduce yourself. You learn about them. And then at, at a certain point in the narrative, you might come back with some evidence or some kind of thing that that... Uh, similar to like a Phoenix, right? Where you're like, wait, that doesn't line up with what they said, or like, sounds like I got to go pay, you know, you know who a visit. And um, so different, uh, you always have some like dialogue options that you can choose from when you're talking to people. Um, it doesn't really, it, it's usually used to just flavor, flavor the discussion. It doesn't usually send you down a different path. Ex- okay. With the exception of these kind of uh, like cul-de-sac like endings, where you can kind of fail a scenario if you don't kind of um, if you don't steer the the conversation in the right way, like maybe you you come up with a, a more aggressive, a too aggressive of an, of an approach, and the person closes themselves off to you. Okay. So that might lead you to like a game overstate, but you'll always just retry, and you'll be back at the beginning of the conversation. So uh, it's not really there are I think there. If I recall correctly, there is like a maybe like a secret ending that you can have if you have if you maybe you need to get like a certain amount of uh, maybe you have to uncover certain uh, objects like along uh, along the course of the game. Like you might have to trigger a few things over the course of the narrative to get this special ending. That's like a little sure addition. It's not this isn't like a visual novel course where there's like a true ending, a bad ending, or like right. a perfect. You know, it's not it's not like that. So and that's I mean that's. The, yeah. the whole secret ending that's not necessarily different or better, but is just kind of secret because you did a couple of things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. That is a, a I don't want to say traditional, but that's kind of a traditional like Japanese game thing. Totally. Like a lot yeah, of totally. those games have that versus Western games, which are, you know, <laughs> if there's multiple endings, it's stuff that you have direct control over yeah. in terms of choices and stuff rather yes. than it being kind of an, an Easter egg. Yeah, uh, that was that was another thing that I actually wanted mm-hmm. to ask you about. That remind me. Mm-hmm. So you said this guy was on the police force, uh, yes. Mister Hyde? Hyde. Hyde. Yep, Kyle Hyde. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, he is—he's not like a PI, but he is a salesman <laughs> looking for like that is yeah, like if I—I I don't even know what studio would like what U.S. studio would try to make something <clears throat> remotely similar to this. But if they did, yeah. like, you're going to be a cut cut and dry, like, you were on the force, you're hard and grizzled, and yeah. now you're a private detective. Yeah. Um, and just, I don't know, the idea of being yeah. a salesman. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, like, that's not even, it doesn't even have to really be a salesman, but just, like, describing it that way is, like, yeah. that is so... I guess quirky is the, oh, yeah. the word that the, pops up. The, oh, um, man. Yeah. Does it have that? I, I assume it does, but does it have that yeah. kind of uh, kind of offbeat? I mean, something like uh, yeah. I guess Yakuza, which you know, like super serious mm. oh, that's crime good... drama, but also really yeah. weird and dumb sometimes. So, 
It, I, I love the fact that you brought up Yakuza actually because I think you're, you're we're close. I don't. I think tonally the game is definitely more serious. It's less tongue okay. in cheek than Yakuza. Um, it's because Kyle Hyde himself, like as a character, is a very kind of um, very like he he definitely fits the 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 bill in terms of that hard boiled persona. So he very kind of gritty, not like unlikable, but just uh, yeah, he's like a salesman. But like there's there's always these like awesome nuggets like the writing's so incredible and i was just re-watching the intro to the game like and if anyone pulls up the intro to to secret of cape west like they'll they'll kind of get what i mean but it's um you know he's he's bad mouthing his employer he's talking about like man i work for this like sleaze bin like you know like um i work as a salesman like you know my boss my boss needs to retire like he's you know he's old and and and, and grungy and just like <laughs> uh, you know like just little things where he'll have these like little he'll take shots like he's usually like internally mod Monologuing, and you get to read along his thoughts. Hmm. And um, no, it's it's the fact that he's a salesman. It is kind of like part of that really just kind of run down, kind of like you know, like why are you, why are you even here? Kind of mentality. But okay. again, he is. I think because he was in the police force, like he definitely does have those detective chops. It's not like he's completely out of place. Um, okay. And then from a from a tonal perspective, very serious, but I think what, what really makes him a likable character is just his ability to empathize with the people he talks to. So, um, yeah, he's coming, like, his boss is a total hard-ass, and periodically throughout the game, he calls, at least in, in both games, I think, uh, you you can kind of go back to your room, like, if you want to save your game or whatever, and you can also, like, make phone calls back to uh, the head HQ of where you're working and you talk to like the receptionist, Rachel, who he always likes to flirt with. And like, uh, and then his boss, who's always just like yelling at him to get a grip and like, you know, you're supposed to be doing this, that, and the other, but, um, yeah, no, no, I, I think it, it, it's interesting. Cause I, I do feel like there is some, some quirks here or there, like, especially through a lot of the kind of characters that you meet, that's where a lot of the quirk comes in. So I mentioned um, Hotel Dusk, for example, has this just his name's Louis, and he's just like completely off off the just off the wall uh, janitor. That's just he's always like he's got like such a flippant mouth. I think uh, I think he grew up kind of like in rough a rough neighborhood uh, of L.A. or I think he's from New York actually. And um, it's just like you get to learn these different characters along you know in both games, and um, that's where a lot of the kind of quirk and charm comes from the game. And, and again, you're kind of viewing this whole thing through Kyle Hyde's eyes. And I think that's ultimately what kind of differentiates itself from say like a visual novel. Uh, okay. Again, like in addition to there not being these different routes that you take, it's like, I feel like when you take, when you play a visual novel, a lot of the times you're supposed to kind of think I'm the one that's saying things, you know, if it's like a, a dating simulator right. or something like that, it's like, well, I'm influencing the ending. I'm influencing who, you know, who I'm going to date by the end of this or whatever, um, or I'm going to romance here. It's like, there is, I sing very clearly has this very uh, deliberate finely woven narrative that they want to string sure. you along and so you get to have you get to explore different little parts of kyle hyde's personality by having those different dialogue options but by and large it's like this is a story that they want you to experience and you're viewing it you're viewing kyle hyde and you're seeing it as he thinks and 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 kind of his perspective on things um and i think that's something that really draws itself out that's something that i really appreciate from a game like this i just really enjoy Again, tight narratives, really sharp writing, really well realized and defined characters, and for me that tone where it's it just as you see, you know not quite yakuza, but it it doesn't take itself too too seriously. You know, as again, it's it's almost like I feel like 
Sing is self-aware. You know, they have kind of the crappy visuals of the, of the apartments, and they have kind of the the lo-fi esque, you know, kind of like bare bones MIDI files. I think that the, that all kind of lends itself in. It's like a, you know a poly, It's like a a rough, you know, a diamond in the rough, like something you had to polish off, and then you see like what's really under the surface is something special. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so if somebody listening to this wanted to to pick up. The, the games. Yeah. Uh, is there one that you recommend over the other, or is it kind of a <clears throat> is it more of a package deal? I, like I would start hmm. with the first and go to the second. Definitely start with the first. I, I think for a number of reasons, just because a it's easier to get your hands on. Chances are, if you go to a local GameStop or, or game store, um, you might be able to find it. You know, and if not, you can definitely order one and get it between ten to fifteen bucks. Um. It's also, in my opinion, I think it's it's slightly more iconic. I think it's a slightly stronger narrative. I just, uh, if I were to say, without giving too much away from either game, it's like there's a very clear through line where there's a very like distinct payoff in in Hotel Dusk, and I think uh, Secret of Cape West is, is fantastic. Last Window slash Secret of Cape West, um, it kind of calls back to the previous game. It's not like you could play the game without having played the the original, but I think you'd get more out of it had you have you had you played the original just because there are definitely some nods back to the original game and um, the story is more of a character journey for that second one so the first one has a very distinct plot uh it's definitely involves kyle hyde for for sure don't get me wrong but there's definitely like a secret to that um, hotel dusk like has a lot of mystery behind it whereas in the sequel it's you know, it's more about Kyle's internal um, internal character and um, a lot of his past relationships that are explored there. And um, it's just kind of uh, – his apartment complex is more of just a, a catalyst for that. It's not necessarily as, as important of a setting, I would say. Um, but ideally, you'd play both. Ideally, I think – Test the waters with Hotel Dusk if you love it, uh, as I hope you would. Then, then you could look about trying to import it or get it someplace else on eBay, somewhere used from someone that has it. Um, yeah, but uh, I mean, either way, you can't go wrong, in my opinion, really. Very cool. Awesome. Well, any any final thoughts about um, about last? Actually, no. Wait, I have the final thought. Yeah. Uh, this might not yeah, actually yeah. be the final thought, um, <laughs> but. Uh, just kind of looking at the the Wikipedia page yeah, yeah. for this game, it's really interesting. Uh, Hotel Dusk, uh, the original title for the game when it was announced yeah. was Wish Room. Yes, yeah. Uh, which is, I'm so glad they went to Hotel Dusk because that's yeah. way better. Yeah. But on the flip side, the like the <clears throat> English name mm-hmm. is Last Window: The Secret of Cape West. Yeah. But. I guess the direct translation of the Japanese title is yeah. Last Window, Midnight Promise. That is and nice. That's yeah. way better. That is. <laughs> that's that's I like that better. Midnight Promise is dope. Yeah. Yeah, I like it with the with uh, the idea. I don't know why they change titles when no. they, I mean sometimes it makes sense because sometimes you see the direct translation is like, yeah, yeah, those words don't make sense together. Yeah. Um but uh I I, I mean and I think the naming Norman Clancher is just weird in general with the series, just because I feel like, you know, it's already obscure enough, and I feel like it doesn't do itself any favors by not having a central kind of series name. So even, uh, you know, for those that, since we're on the, a topic of uh, point and clicks and, and kind of visual novels and things like that, adventure games, those that have played like 999 uh, or Virtue's Last Reward, like they'll know that after the first game, uh, Axis or wh- whoever was in charge of 
kind of the branding for for that series, like renamed the series to make it the like the nonary games or whatever. So they gave it like a, a, a easily identifiable like brand name that all three games could be uh, under like the umbrella of. Here, I feel mm-hmm. like we never really got that chance. So it's like Hotel Dusk, like Room 215, and then Last Window, The Secret of Cape West. There's like nothing in, like, you wouldn't even know in passing that those games are related necessarily right. unless you, like, do your research and, like, you, you're, like, a big fan of the first. Like, I bet a lot of people that played the first potentially don't even know there is a sequel just because it didn't come to the U.S. Like, there's just a lot of different things that make it so hard to, like, <laughs> wrap your head around it. And, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of questions. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a bummer that uh, that sing. I guess the story was, you know, as the as the case with a lot of these studios, just like not enough fun, not enough uh, appeal for these games, and just it was it was closed down by Nintendo. Nintendo still owns the IP. They theoretically could still do something with it. I mean, they could just start up a new studio and maybe bring in staff from Sing. I think, from if I recall correctly, Sing does some stuff independently, so they had an eShop title. I think on the 3DS. E-Store a couple years back. It was a game called, I think it's here, I believe. It's like Chase, Chase, uh, Chase Detective Files or something like that, where it was kind of like an episodic, uh, in, like Hotel Dusk inspired game. So the, the detective looks very similar to Kyle Hyde, but it's clearly not the same IP because they don't have Nintendo's blessing to work on it. So, you know, they were, okay. tr- they were trying to kind of continue on and have a spiritual successor and they were going to be these more like, um, bite-sized cold case files and mm. only one episode came out i was so excited when when i heard that they were going to be starting it up again and uh the episode that i played was pretty good you know it was like if these games are 15 hours this this one was like maybe two to three so very bite-sized it would have needed to have had at least five episodes to really feel complete i feel but mm-hmm. um yeah it's just it's it's such a bummer to kind of see this like talented studio come up with you know bold ideas in my opinion and come up with these really awesome stories and then these awesome visual and audio ways to tell it like um and just to see like not not enough momentum in japan for for like a sequel you know a sequel right. episode a sequel game um yeah so so that's why whenever i get the chance to talk about this pair of games specifically i always jump at the chance just because I just feel like there's nothing like it out there. I feel like it's a really interactive way. Like, if you're a big reader, if you're a big noir person, if you just want, like, a, a good story and you're looking for a change um, and, and you have a DS lying around, like, totally, totally pick it up. Cool. Very cool. All right. So so now, any uh, any final thoughts? It's, it's, it yeah. feels like you kind of wrapped that up, but I'll, <laughs> I'll give you one more chance yeah. if there's anything else you want to say about uh, the game. Nintendo, I... I, I <laughs> Well, I don't know if you're listening, but if you are, please give Sing another chance. Please bring him back. Uh, we we need another. We need another. Re- at least start with a re-release. You know, re-release sure. Hotel Dusk and Secret of Cape West on the Switch. I feel like that wouldn't be like too much of a lift. Let the people decide, uh, and then if if things are good, let's get another one going. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like they could easily. I mean, being DS games, I'm sure they're super small compared to yeah. to modern games, yeah. and so you could release them both as one package, and it'd be the the Kyle Hyde cases, exactly, like the like Hi- the Kyle Hyde collection or something. You yeah. know, then you could get the branding going again. And sure, I don't know. I feel like since it's already like it was in book format, I feel like it would translate pretty well to the Switch. Maybe it wouldn't take up the whole screen, but. You could just have them side by side in the native aspect ratio. You didn't have to be any. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. I mean, sure, it'd be awesome if you redid the visuals and 
you know, redid the music. Ah, oh, that would be that'd be incredible. But um, yeah, I some something tells me uh, it doesn't seem in the cards. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Um. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but that sounds really neat, and that's. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up because, like I said, uh, Hotel Desk was something that was it popped up on my radar all the time when I was looking at DS games. Yeah, and I haven't bought a DS anything in a while, yeah. but my I've got a DS Lite, and that thing is. Um, I don't know. I plugged it in a couple like a year or two ago, yeah. and I hadn't plugged it in or turned it on in a long time before that, and like it was still. Fully charged. Yeah. I don't know what voodoo they did to those things to make them run so well, uh, but they are—they are great little systems. They are, and they that are. might be uh. something that I go check out. You never know. I make no promises. No, uh, because there's way too, too many, many games. games out there. Oh, I get you. Uh, but you never know. Yeah, you never know. Uh, well, David, thank you for sitting down and chatting with me about. Uh, technically last window, yes. but loophole <laughs> both games. Uh, I also I appreciate what you did there using that to talk about something even older than just the you know our, our decade long yeah. discussion thing. So that's yeah, that's good work. Uh, so <laughs> we will be back in just a moment to talk about more video game stuff. Hey everybody, and we are back uh, to talk about more video game stuff on the Darkcast. I'm Jonathan. Joining me for this segment is Alan Kessinger. How you doing, Alan? So good, but you've been talking about video games before talking to what? me. What? No. What? No. I no. Not at all. Mm-mm. Oh. This is the okay. first time I've talked about video games ever. I see. Okay. Um, well, I believe you, Jonathan. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um. So so yeah, this will probably. We're recording these at various times. Uh, this is probably going to be segment two, uh, just because it's the second one that we've recorded. So that that's probably going to be uh, how that goes. But this is this is part of a year-long thing that we are doing, which is not really a year-long thing now. I guess it's going to be 10 months because I was <laughs> late on the ball. But whatever. Um, it's 2020. It's the end of an era, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, it is. And, uh, you know, we're talking about some of our favorite games from the past year. So if you didn't listen to the first segment for whatever reason, basically we're, we're not making ranked lists. We're not mm. scoring things. Um, yeah, we, this we is not a top lesson. 100 list <laughs> or anything like that. This is just us talking about some of our favorite games from the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. And Alan, we're, we're, we're talking about one of your favorite games from the past year. Uh, we two, are 10 years. Um, yeah. What is that game? That game is Cuphead, the um, delightful boss run uh, action game from Studio uh, MDHR, and uh, a game that was kind of in development for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of know why, because what makes Cuphead such a memorable kind of kind of game is its production values in that everything is animated hand drawn in the style of the old classic um Fleischer cartoons. Yes, apparently that is called rubber hose style animation. Mm-hmm. I just learned that because I just pulled it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, I I remember when this was announced and being super excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um and I had no idea it was a a boss run uh, type of game 
I don't think um, anybody did for the most part no. until like it actually nearly came out right. and they were saying, yeah, this is a boss rush, but yeah. And, uh, and because of that, I've never played it because <laughs> that type of game just has no appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember being excited about this game for years and I'm so happy that people love it just because it looks so good. It really um, does. Like yeah. it's kind of insane. Just the, the art style of this, like it, it's funny um, you know, games come out and every few years there's always, there's always some sort of cell shaded game. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it'll be maybe something that's anime or manga inspired. And right. it's like, Hey guys, we finally made it like video games look like as good as a cartoon. Like you mm-hmm. can, you can look at this game and think that you're, you're watching a cartoon. And for the most and part, that's, that's that, not really that, true. That's, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's is, not, very, it's, not really true. I'd say, like, the closest yeah. one um, was that Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, because there mm. are moments in that game, and it's usually reserved for cutscenes. So, again, okay. it's still got that sort of, like, well, it looks like it, but it's not quite. But when they've got, uh, when they're doing cutscenes that are kind of framed in such a way where it kind of strips away the kind of takes control away and it's just showing uh, a, an in-engine film, the shell, cell shading in that game uh, made it look like mm. really close. Like there there were times where I thought it was like, whoa, wait, this seems like they're just pulling pulling it from the show. But again, yeah. there's, there's always going to be something. Like maybe there's a shininess or something or way, the way that lighting kind of catches um, the skin on, of a character's like forearm or the side of their face. I'm like, oh, wait, no. They look like plastic figures, even with the cell shading. Right. Um, but Cuphead, it's everything is hand-drawn 2D animation. So there is no sort of unca- uncanny valley of sorts when you're looking at it and think, oh, wait, no, this is just texture. This is right. just uh, textures rendered on a... Um, you know, a 3D object or whatever. No, I mean, there are pencil tests uh, of this stuff that are, um, uh, again, like this is, this is hand-drawn, fully hand-drawn, no tricks. Um, and again, it makes sense why this game was in development for so, so long. Um, because everything in it from the tutorial to the very last boss of the game you know this game. This game is like ninety five percent hand drawn animation, and it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it looks it's it just looks so good. Uh, it makes me wish I wanted to to play it. Um, but yeah, not not only is it a a boss rush game, but it also is notoriously. Um, Oh, so how do we yeah. do this gently? Uh, difficult as balls. It is like, and 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 that's kind of where I'm conflicted about this because on the mm. one hand, I'm upset that it's so hard because everybody's got to see it, everybody's got to try it, even sure. if they put in some sort of invulnerability code or something. Mm. Like I want people to see this because honestly, I don't think you're ever going to see anything like this again until the DLC finally comes out. But I don't think any other studio is going to spend the time and money to make something like this, this ever again. So this is a very unique game, but on the other hand, like, yeah, it's difficult as balls, but it's, 
and and I hate to I hate saying this because it's become such a cliche this decade, but you get that same accomplish, accomplishment like with Dark Souls. You know, you you've tackled a boss and you've sweat, you've you've shed tears and blood over a boss. I, the the fiery frolic level will always kind of live in infamy for me because I'd say that took about three hours worth of trying before mm. I finally beat it. And when I did, I practically just burst into tears. Like I was, <laughs> I, not only was I relieved that I didn't have to do that anymore, but it was like, I got it. I conquered yeah. it. And it's this greatest feeling in the world. And now I can no longer listen to that <laughs> song on the soundtrack because it <laughs> triggers many emotions in me. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, on the one hand, I appreciate that it's difficult because it's it's very challenging. And plus, it kind of has to be since for a boss rush, if it were an easy game, it would be over very quickly. Sure. But on the other hand, I do wish it was a little bit more accessible because, again, you're never going to see anything like this. Yeah. Yeah, I just I mean, for me personally, and it's, it's one of those things where it's. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm glad the developers made the game that they wanted to, but I just I wish this was like a regular platformer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and see, that's the funny thing because they do uh, put in platform. There are like a small handful. I think I can, you can count them on one hand. Uh, platforming stages that I, I mean, I I there was one I couldn't finish just because it was driving me crazy. Like it was really hard. Like the platforming mm. stages are not merciful by any means. Mm. Um, if, if anything, I think there can be uh, less forgiving than the bosses themselves. Um, Interesting. Because, like, there's no checkpointing, and some of these levels, ah. levels are fairly long, um, and you find yourself in situations where it's like, well, how the hell is I supposed to avoid that? I mean, like, so many elements tend to converge on one point where, like, it... it, it, it brings to mind playing um, and suffering through the old ghouls and ghosts game where like it's so unmerciful and it's kind of not, you kind of, you kind of can't pull the dark size dark souls card by saying, well, it's tough, but it's fair. I feel there are sections in here that it deliberately means to torture the, the player Um, that are that are hard to reconcile as one would do with dark souls but um really the kind of purpose that those serves are you're you're collecting coins so you can purchase particular upgrades for the for the character that you know in theory would make the boss encounters which are the bread and butter of the game easier to manage and and they Mm -hmm. certainly do i mean you can uh, there, uh, you know, you get different weapons. Uh, there's an ability where you can, uh, at the push of a button, you can do this dash move, which gives you like a brief window of invulnerability, which is very useful. Sure. Um, there is a mechanic where you have these super moves and they're powered by uh, you doing double jumps against pink items. Uh, objects, whether they be like projectiles from from the from the enemies or some environmental object, uh, but there is a power up that you can pick up that you don't have to do the double jump in order to uh, catch that pink item. You just 
jump at it and then boom, you're good to go. So again, it kind of saves a lot of time and pulls away attention from having to worry about timing jumps or having to like frantically get out of the way if a boss has jumped up in midair just to make this stuff a little bit easier for you. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that these platform stages are any easier because I'd say they're, they're just as difficult um, uh, than the uh, bosses. So as, as far as the um, those upgrades go with the coins, are those, uh, when you're buying those, are they like one-time use items or are they like things that you, I don't know, like an equipment, like yeah, if, if it were an RPG thing, it was, you know, some sort of equipment that you're attaching that it changes the way one of your ability works or something like that. How, right. how does, how does all that stuff actually work? They, they are actually equipable okay. uh, upgrades. Um, there are uh, some consumables that you can buy that basically increase like your health or whatnot. But, um, and, and I'd say it's generous, but it's really not. <laughs> um, but they're like, as far as the new uh, like weapon attacks and the dashing ability and the, um, like the pink parry mm-hmm. um, ability, you can equip those and, and you can swap them out and, and, you know, really customize your, your character. Okay. So are, do those stack in any way? Can you have multiple at a time or is it like, if you get the ability where you can uh, do the kind of jump attack on the pink objects, does that remove yeah. your ability to dash? Uh, no, you can equip up to, I be, what was it? You can co- equip up to, um, two different weapon attacks and then a special ability, uh, to, I want to say actually now it's just sort of a mix and match. Mm. So you can kind of do kind of put together what you want. Cause yeah, there, there were runs where I had both the, um, the jumping and dashing ability, okay. uh, equipped. So yeah, you, you can, you know, you can customize, uh, you can swap stuff in and out, but again, you only get three slots, so not a whole lot of options. Again, anything more than it's going to definitely go, the game will will shift in favor to, to the player because you have all these abilities to kind of, you know, make you more resilient against yeah, these that bosses. that's great. That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that should be the easy mode. You can just yeah. uh, equip all of the abilities. Right. <laughs> um. No, and it's like again, like it's 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 super hard, but it's one of those where I I can respect it, where like the difficulty kind of makes sense, not just from a we want to make sure you get a lot of time um, in with the game, we don't because otherwise it's going to be you could play it in a day, mm-hmm. um, but just kind of bringing back that old school challenge of games like Ghouls and Ghosts, where um, you had to be pretty methodical in what you're doing. You had to be paying attention to your environment. You had to understand patterns. You have to, you know, decipher uh, enemy tells and stuff like that. It's, it's really, it's, it's neat. It's neat for what it is. Um, And again, the presentation of it uh, really does uh, add to kind of the fun of the game, even though it can be, very frustrating to get through Um, as, as someone who grew up like devouring cartoons and basically seeing cuphead as one of the childhood cartoons I've, I've watched come to life and be playable was a real treat. And 
when talking about Cuphead, I mean, certainly its style and presentation is enough to turn heads, but something you didn't quite get until you actually played the game was the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't even thinking as to what, like, what would the music for a game like this be? Yeah. So as soon as that game started and you've got um, a barbershop quartet singing the theme song, which is basically the story of the game, (laughs) there have been very few moments where I've heard a soundtrack and was, and would jump out of my seat and find out how to buy it. (laughs) Um, And within the first two words of the song for the, for the title screen, I was like, I need to get this soundtrack. Um, and at the time, um, I am eight bit. I believe I stumbled across, they were selling like an $80 special edition for four disc vinyl, um, album for cuphead. And I'm like $80 fine. Take it. I want this. (laughs) Um, so I have, yeah, so I have a, uh, a vinyl of, of the soundtrack, um, as well as I got a digital, I think it also came with like a digital copy with it as well. So I do have that and that is an album I can listen to forever. Um, and, and it's, it's such an, it's an amazing, it's an amazing soundtrack because it was done by a gentleman named Christopher Madigan who at the time I looked at his credits and this was like the second thing he's done. Hmm. Um, He's put together some orchestrations for, for himself for some small performances, but this was like his first major mainstream uh, commission and Holy shit. He just knocks it out of the park because it, 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 like he ha- he has to have been like me and grown up with these cartoons because he nails that style like that that frantic Warner Brothers Raymond Scott um frantic style of music where each boss has a th- has a very particular theme and the instrumentation for it like it's all jazz band it's all xylophone it's it's frantic xylophone players like mm-hmm. you know just going all over the place it's like flight of the bumblebee style music for all of these bosses um but he 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 puts them together in ways that kind of fit their characterizations mm-hmm. so the 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 best example i can think of is there is a stage called uh, a dramatic fanatic Mm-hmm. And the boss is this olive oil looking um, woman who it's, it's all set in a theater and she, her attacks are like, she does like ballet dances and pirouettes to kind of to strike at you, but the curtain will open up and, and she'll kind of throw down these, these uh, lightning bolts, which are basically just kind of cardboard cutouts on, on ropes and stuff like that. And the music to this incorporates a tap dancer. So you've got like this big band, you know, uh, this big band uh, orchestration that's accompanied by some really amazing tap dancing solos um, that it's, it just kind of, it, it elevates these boss fights, boss fights into um, something really exciting because there's an energy, there's a power to the soundtrack that brings these fights to life. And there are little fun flourishes too. Like when you, when you die in, um, 
during a boss, you know, all this music is playing. And when you get that, you know, Hey, you lost the screen. Um, there's a, it's, it's, you get like this sound as if like the, you know, the, the band has been told to stop. So everybody kind of staggers kind of, uh, you know, they, they're cut off in the middle of their tune or they're just kind of doing a thing where it's like, well, you know, while they're telling us it's off, so I'm just going to noodle around. So you get, you get that. And he's recorded one of those for, for every track. Um, but the amazing thing, and it, it just kind of shows how awesome video game music has, has come over the years, but all of these tunes kind of come to a head when you are doing the final boss, which is against the devil who has the pretty much the whole conceit of the game is cuphead and his pal Mugman. Um, they are strolling out one day and they stumble onto a gambling house because of course they do. <laughs> um, they get caught up into a debt and basically the devil has made him go collect contracts from other people who have sold their souls to him. So you're, you're each of these bosses are, are someone who has sold ended up selling their soul to the devil. So when you find that, when you get to the devil, his boss music is just a collection of all of the themes from all of the bosses up to that point. And it's done so well. And it's done in a way that's just mind blowing. Like for, Duh. It's just it's it's just so good. It's just so good. That's that's all I'm really trying to say here is that this is one this is a masterclass in soundtrack design. I mean, not only does this guy totally know his shit, but he's like Michael Giacchino. Michael Giacchino was really great at developing themes and kind of elevating video game music to just something that played in the background to um like being a character in the game itself. So, I mean, not only are you, you fighting against these pretty colorful cast of characters, but their characters are kind of vaulted upwards and made memorable and made more fun because they have themes attached to them. Sure. And so to get to the devil at the end and the boss music is just snippets um, all tied together like and and thoughtfully thought together it's not like okay you're going to hear this this piece for 2 seconds and then you're going to get a jarring transition to another boss theme for another uh, few seconds and so on and so forth it's strung together smartly in a way that it captures all the different themes because again mm-hmm. you're fighting a boss who has influenced all the characters that you interacted with up to right. that point yeah. and it's just so cool it's really really cool that is cool. That's that. That's something that I think. Um, I've never really listened to the the soundtrack for this, um, and that's kind of weird because there are plenty of games that I, um, that I own soundtracks to that I don't own the games to. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that happens every time a new um, uh, a new super giant game comes out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I really love Bastion. I don't really care for any of their other games, but every soundtrack just gets better and better. Um, but but the idea of having like a piece of music be formed by kind of different themes of mm-hmm. other parts of the game, like I don't know, it's it's a it's an idea that, I, and I don't know if some games do this, and maybe you just can't tell, but mm-hmm. I've always thought it would be a really cool idea if like all the layers of the music 
were basically formed by kind of the environment. So if, mm-hmm. if we were the, I don't know. And in my brain, I always think of this in like terms of, of halo, uh, mm-hmm. which is not cuphead. It's a very different game. <laughs> um, but let's say that like all the grunts, like uh, grunts have a particular like riff that mm-hmm. goes and maybe it's a percussion thing. Maybe it's a piano yep. thing, whatever. It's just something that it's relatively simple, but also like you can pick it out. You go, that's, the music for the grunts it's not like a Mm -hmm. full-on theme like Mm -hmm. you think with star wars where you have binary sunsets and stuff like that it's not right not that distinctive um but basically you have a thing that when you come into for something like halo a combat encounter um basically you have bits of music that kind of auditorily tell you what you're dealing with. So maybe you have something for the location that you're in. You have something Mm -hmm. for all the types of enemies that you've got, and maybe even have something for like the different weapons that you're using, which Mm -hmm. that would, you know, bring a whole other level. uh, Cause when you're swapping weapons, like how do you make that sound natural? Um, But, um, but I just think it would be really cool. Basically, the the group of enemies or the the environment that you're in is basically kind of like informing the music mm-hmm. that you're listening to. So if you fought the same group of enemies in a different environment, like it would sound different. Or if it right. was like if there were twenty grunts and two elites and some a jack and some jackals, because mm-hmm. if anybody doesn't know what those things are, just aliens. Um, <laughs> then like that sounds way different than if there are five elites and only two grunts, a couple of hunters and no jackals or something like that. Like it could just, and then as you're like thinning out the herd, basically the music is uh, like those individual parts are becoming more distinct, but it's also kind of fading in a way. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know, but that's a random idea that just I've, I've had for a long time. And I just find it really cool that like, Basically, the final boss battle, in a way, does something like that by pulling from all the other bosses that you've been fighting in the game. And, yeah. I, again, this could be just something that secretly all video games are actually doing. I don't think that's the case. Um, mm-hmm. But I would love it if more games did that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only other game I can think of off the top of my head, only because it's super obvious, is Skyrim. Because every time you fought a dragon it would switch mm. over to the Dovahkiin sure. theme. Like everything else, it kind of had its own kind of standalone, uh, or not so much standalone, but it kind of had a common like combat theme. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it was a nice cue to let you know that, oh crap, here comes this giant like wing lizard thing I have to fight now. Mm. Um, another, uh, an, another game I can think that did it fairly well, only because I remember back in the day I tried to, I tried to make a soundtrack of it by um, extracting music files from the disc, and I found that pretty much it had different themes for practically everything. So it was all like trans. Most of the files were all transitional music, but anyway, I'm getting a, mm-hmm. I'm getting a little too deep. But was um, Tron 2.0, um, an old uh, PC game way back in the day 
that uh, depending on the sort of enemies you were fighting, whether or not it was like the security programs or it were um, the uh, infected programs, they had um, most of the music was variations on themes from the from the, the Wendy Carlos soundtrack, but passed through of a uh, through a more kind of um, techno filter but if you were fighting like infected enemies the music would change to reflect that if you Mm. were fighting like the regular security programs they kind of had their own particular theme that that would kick in um but yeah it, it doesn't happen often but when it does it's really cool and again i i kind of credit michael giacchino for getting sort of kicking that off because um, a soundtrack that he did for Secret Weapons over Normandy for the PlayStation 2. Um, his music was orchestrated in such a way that when you were flying a mission, the music would, would go one way. And then when enemies showed up, it played like the the like the like um, Wehrmacht theme. Mm. Um, and depending on the sort of mission, like, again, he, he recorded multiple versions of that theme. Um, so again, it was a nice audible cue that you knew that shit was about to go down. Sure. Um, but yeah, not, not a whole lot of games do it. Um, it's unfortunate, but I understand that it would take a lot more work to do, oh, Sure, Absolutely. but it's still, but it, I don't know. That, it's neat, you know, but, but it, that's one of those things where that's like, that's uniquely video games. Like mm-hmm. nothing else can do that sort of thing. Right. Like there's no reason for music to dynamically shift um and by na- dynamically i don't mean just with with like gusto with lots of change right. but right. to do it kind of on the fly mm-hmm. um in a movie like obviously you're going to score it to like the version of the film that people are going to watch right um so that everything syncs up perfectly that like that just makes sense um those actually it's, it's not a very good game uh, but there's a game called uh, Dark Void that came out back on PS3 oh, yeah. and uh, Xbox 360. Uh, and that was one of the, the first times where Nolan North was just like, oh, like this is just this is just his Nathan Drake. This is just Nolan North. <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> and uh, that's it's not it's man, it's a weird game. But I remember watching a lot of stuff about that soundtrack. And while it wasn't necessarily dynamically changing, there were two main um kind of tempos for the the music because you had mm-hmm. this like rocketeer style jetpack in that game and yep. you could take off and fly at any moment and if oh, you weren't man. flying yeah. then you were doing like a gears of war-esque mm-hmm. third person shooter yeah. and so they did this thing where i think it was like the basically every seven bars in the music like it it was ready to change to something else. Like they mm-hmm. had, it was almost like you had on ramps and right. off ramps. Yep. If, yep. if we're using an interstate analogy, yeah, it's that, like, that's like what Tron 2.0 feet, did. Yeah. Basically. Yep. Yep. Um, so that when you hit the jetpack and you go flying, you don't have to wait like five seconds for the music to kick in. Like it right. just naturally it just picks goes. up yeah. and it, it feels like it's, it's, you know, the soundtrack is orchestrating what you as the player are doing yeah. uh, rather than, you know, what a cutscene is doing or something like that. Um, which again, like that has to be like, 
there's so much about video games that like it's <laughs> it's insane that they get made. It's insane that they're any right. good. It's right. like <laughs> video games are nuts. And right. so to request like more work uh, yeah. feels terrible. Um, I mean, it's it's be like, the, it'd be I, the I equivalent wish... of like because you know how. You get Nolan North in a sound booth. And it's like, okay, we're going to have you say all these lines. Okay, now we just need you to grunt. Um, now we need you to scream. Could you maybe grunt your way into that line? Okay, can you now scream your way into <laughs> well, So yeah, well, all I of mean, these variations. Right. I mean, and like you're asking for that in the music too. So yes. it's it's more work. But man, when it comes together, it's just so cool. It's, it's like uh, Yuri Lowenthal's Spider-Man um, having – a version yes. like basically yes. every phrase and it, it can do it with every phrase, like not even full sentences with every phrase. It can shift from a action version of the, the dialogue to a yep. standing still like yep. you've caught your breath. Um, and it's so cool to be like yeah. swinging through and he's, Oh yeah, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then, I, then I'm going to do that. And then you land and then he just starts talking normal again. Uh, like it's, it's Spider amazing. Man was so good. It's, it is. Uh, we're going to talk about that at some point. You you yeah. signed up for it, so yeah, I, um, I did. We got we got way off track. We uh, did, but but, it, but it's, it's all in it's, service it's, of just like how good that soundtrack is. Exactly. Um, just to kind of bring it all back, you know. It's just yes. Thank you. It, it works <laughs> to it. It works to make the experience all the more unique. You know, it's again. I I can't even after playing this game and listening to the soundtrack, I can't even fathom like what this would be if it didn't have Christopher Madigan doing what he did. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and it just goes to show that when it comes to games, like you have all of the main characters, but like even the more static stuff, like environments and music, you know, they're just as important as the main characters themselves. And Cuphead probably wouldn't have been as impactful for me if it didn't have this wonderful music to it and again just the fact that he put together i don't know 15 16 different theme however many bosses there are plus the platforming stages um with someone who again like has has very few credits to his name to just step in knock it out of the park on the first try it's just it's it again it, it's what makes this game one of like the highlights of the decade yeah like without any any question that's that's really cool i can tell i'm getting very passionate about this because like my heart rate is <laughs> and like i'm right i'm just like all right let's go running let's go while we run we will listen to cuphead music <laughs> Um, that is, yes, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, I'll have a, a link at least to the, um, the, the song that you mentioned, Dramatic Fanatic, mm-hmm. uh, in the show notes so that people can check that out. Yeah. Um, and it'll be, it's on, uh, Christopher Madigan's page. So you should be able to see like, all the oh, wonderful. There. Good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so people can check that out. And I was just checking, I was like, you know what? I bet Cuphead is on Game Pass. It's not. Uh, uh, which seems like a, a huge shame, uh, but you never know. It might, um, uh, yeah, might I pop be up wondering if... once the um, the DLC comes out. Yeah. Uh, is the DLC going to be free? Is that or is that going to be paid? Uh, I, don't know. I don't know. I it, um, that announcement came so long ago that I, I'm assuming it's going to be paid. Yeah, um, 
because it sounds like it's going to be new bosses, new characters, new music. Yeah. So. yeah, I know it's I know it's a new playable character, but I don't remember a whole lot else because I, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to it because I didn't play it. Yeah. Uh, let's see, the delicious last course. Last course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Miss Chalice is the new playable character. There's a brand new island, so there'll be new weapons, new charms. Uh, she has new abilities, and then she'll be able to play through the um, yeah. uh, the main game as well. Miss Chalice so... was a character who would pop up in the game's bonus modes okay. um, that you would play through to unlock like super abilities. Um, hmm. And it, it's it's fun that they're they're making her playable because she's yeah. a fun. The design of her character is very cute. I like it. Yeah. Um, and um, one thing I do want to point out, mm-hmm. and I'm going to leave a gap here in case you want to cut it out but um okay. the the illustrator like one of the the character designers and one of the animators um nina uh Sorovsky, mm-hmm. um i'm sure i'm butchering her last name i apologize if she is listening to this i do apologize um but i am i i am now one degree of separation from cuphead because oh. she is actually doing the animation for my brother's uh cartoon short that he's putting oh, together that's awesome yeah so i i absolutely loved her work um in this game and uh, and i mean she is talented as as fuck i mean it just goes to show the work so when i found out that she was working with my brother on this i nearly lost it because that meant like I could talk to her if I, if That's... I could. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So <clears throat> that, that, that is really cool. Um, and maybe I hope you get to someday. Uh, yeah. but, uh, so I don't see anything as far as a price for the DLC, mm-hmm. uh, like one way or the other, it hasn't been announced as free. And I also, I don't see a price listed anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm thinking there will, there will be a price on it just because on the um, main like website uh, on the, on the Xbox website, there's a get the game and it says standard edition by now. There's no other edition listed, but mm-hmm. that leads me to believe a like complete edition will be right. on there at some point, which will have the DLC included, which means you could also buy the DLC and there, there would be no reason to have two different editions. If right. There wasn't a price difference. Um, and there'd be no reason to have a price difference if it didn't cost money to get that DLC. Um, right. <laughs> um, so, one yeah. one other thing I wanted sure. to point out about the music um, having such an impact as it did. Um, I, I was exploring the uh, website earlier and I realized I happened upon this and I, I didn't shout it out. But um, one thing I'll say about Studio MDHR is like they are very like – they have been very open and receiving to like um, the, the, their fans. Uh, they have done a lot. Um, I actually just ordered a graphic novel that they were putting together. Um, uh, there is like, they're, they're very happy with their community to the point where you can actually go on their website or the Cuphead website, or specifically cupheadnotes.com. And you can purchase sheet music for high school concert bands, high school jazz bands, and professional um, uh, music groups, as well as barbershop quartets of <laughs> songs from the game. 
Yeah. Wow. Um, specifically, the Barbershop Quartet is the two uh, two songs that don't deal with the devil, the theme song and the quick break uh, music that was sung. This was, I was trying to remember the group, but um, the group who sang it, I love their name so much. They're called Shoptimus Prime. Um, and it is for five bucks. You can get the sheet music for that. Um, but the um, PDF scores uh, include all bets are off carnival, kerfuffle clip joint, Calamity, which is great. Um, and yeah, this is this is all sheet music available to purchase. So if you are a music teacher, get on it and get your get your bands playing this stuff because it's it's so friggin' cool. That is that is pretty cool. That is Um There there should be more video game music in like it high school middle school bands they they mm-hmm. should be playing um more video game music that should be a thing yeah. that's that's good stuff i think there is i know there there usually there's a company that uh, and and i say this because i it, all through elementary middle school um and high school we were exposed to it but there there is a company that that makes arrangements makes like whatever is uh popular at the time in terms mm. of movie music or TV music. Um, they do make high school band arrangements on them. I, I mm. distinctly remember uh, for one of my high school concerts, we did the ending theme music for Empire Strikes Back. So, See, like when, when I was in middle school band, we were doing like the theme song to Green Acres and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. For every Empire has, Strikes Back, there <laughs> is there is an arrangement of Green Acres. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, uh, well, Alan, thank you so much for uh, for sitting down and chatting with me about thank Cuphead you. and actually just like a whole long conversation about music as well. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> we will be back in a few moments to talk about more video game stuff. Welcome back to the Darkcast, everybody. I'm Jonathan, and we are continuing our Games of the Decade discussion. Uh, if you haven't listened to the previous segments, uh, which I don't know why you wouldn't, because they're there before this one, um, but uh, we're, we're talking about some of our favorite games from the past 10 years. It is 2020, and sure, it's March, and I'm a little late to the game. I wanted to start this in January, but we're here, and we're talking about video games. That's what's important. But what's even better than video games is we have somebody brand new to the Archcast with us today. And I'm super excited. That is Miss Lauren Clark. How are you doing, Lauren? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to have you on here. This is, I, I feel creepy saying this, but this is the first time we've had a lady on the show in a long time. <laughs> uh, Crystal was a, a regular on our show uh, way back in the day when the Darkcast joined up with Bit Punch with... It, People listened to the Dark Cast a long time ago. They they might remember that, but who knows if they do? I don't I don't pay attention to any of that. But if you're listening, hey Crystal. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we're we're not here to talk about other people that have been on the show. We are here to talk about one of your favorite games from the past ten years. So tell us what we're here to talk about. Yes. Um. So I am a huge Animal Crossing fan, 
And um, Animal Crossing's been around for quite some time. Um, it started out, actually, I think, on the N64 in Japan. That version never made it to the U.S., but um, they made a enhanced version that did make it here uh, on the GameCube. And that was my first Animal Crossing game. Um, and I've been playing the series ever since. So the one we're going to talk about, though, is uh, Animal Crossing New Leaf which is actually the most recent release of Animal Crossing of the mainline series um, uh, on the 3DS and in general, actually. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm looking at some of the dates on this, and it's... I don't know, so Animal Crossing has not been something that's generally in my purview. Uh, I guess the closest thing I've gotten to it is I've installed Stardew Valley before. Oh. <laughs> Um, never played it, but I've installed it. So that is that is how close I've got gotten to Animal Crossing. Stardew um, Valley is intense. Animal Crossing is much more laid back. Okay, okay, that's yeah. good to know. That's good to know. Um, but I I had no idea that there was an N sixty four version. I totally thought that it just started on the GameCube. So that that is really interesting. So I I know we're talking not about a game from twenty years ago. We're supposed to be talking about. A, uh, a game from like eight years ago but so was that the one on GameCube was that essentially like a like we have remasters all the time now we didn't really have remasters back then but is that essentially what it was like an a SD upgrade because we didn't have HD so S, is that like yeah. what, what was that game yeah it was it was essentially a, a, a remastered port um, and that one is actually really cool because it's very difficult to do, but you can actually get um, little miniature consoles for your house, and you can actually play Nintendo games um, on those consoles. And it's like the full ROM is in there. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, yeah. That's pretty cool. So uh, how do you, do you buy those in the game? I assume that this is before, like, microtransactions and all that stuff became a thing, so you don't actually pay money. You just... Um, how do you how do you get them in the game? You have to earn them. Um, okay. And I'll be honest, I don't remember exactly how you earn them. Um, gotcha. It might be money or something like that. But um, but they are totally earnable in the game without paying anything extra. Um, okay. Because of the time. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so so that was the first game, and then uh, there there have been several others since then. Right. I, in in my mind, just kind of seeing it from afar. Animal Crossing has, I don't know, in a, in a way it's been kind of similar to Pokemon in that, like, it, it adds some maybe a little something new for the people that love it, but by and large it kind of seems like it's the same game being released all the time. Is that the case? Like, what what are what's the difference between all these versions of the game? Um, you're right that the same basic core gameplay is pretty much there. Uh, as they've gone, they've added more and more things. So, like... New Leaf is the fullest of the games. It has the most new stuff, the most innovations. Um, City Folk, which was released for the Wii, actually got criticism because it wasn't different enough. Um, and uh, with New Leaf, they just took that and went crazy. They actually released, three years after the original release, they actually released a free update that added a whole bunch more new stuff. Um, so it was already a pretty full game and, and they, they added even more. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, for free, which was incredible. That's always nice. That's always... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that coincided with, um, when the Amiibos came out. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and they were trying to obviously sell Amiibo. <laughs> sure. sure. 
So um, there's a ton of Animal Crossing amiibos. Although they did not sell well, um, and that might have been because they were coming out for a game that was already three years old. <laughs> sure, I can see that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it, I don't know, it's kind of one of those things, you never got to know when if Nintendo anything is going to just light on fire or not, because, I don't know, it just seems up to the whims of the gods sometimes, because it's like, oh, this is not brand new, but it's Nintendo, and people love it, and it flies off the shelves, or it's it doesn't. It's It's weird. Right, and I think that they thought it would fly off the shelf because they way overproduced them. Yeah. Um, and now, ironically, with the new game coming out, they probably will be going for more money on eBay. <laughs> mm. So, wait, so the uh, the Switch has amiibo capabilities, right? Correct. So, will the old amiibos work with the Switch game? Yes. Okay. Yes, they even released Amiibo cards for Animal Crossing, um, huh. where they have the little the chip in them, and but they're just basically like a trading card. Um, and those are actually starting to go up in value now, because huh. you can um, scan the card in like an Amiibo, and you can get the, the villager that you want, and... People have their favorite villagers. They really want them in their game. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So, um, so they use you can use the cards to get your favorite villager. So, do you have like a random assess uh, or a random allotment of villagers? And so, like when you start a game, you don't know who's going to be in your town, but if you have the card, you can know that you're going to get a specific person. Or how how does that work? Essentially, so whenever okay. you start a town, um, you'll have I think. It depends on the, it varies by the game, but usually you'll have like three or so villagers. And then um, if you make the town welcoming, more people will move in. Okay. And um, some of the villagers will move out and then new ones will move in. Um, so people will do all kinds of things to try to get the villager they don't like to move out. <laughs> <laughs> So you can um, you can be mean to them. You can not fulfill the request. You can ignore them, um, and doing all those things. Eventually, they'll start saying, "I'm going to move out," and then you're like, "Okay, see ya." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm realizing just like how much I don't know about these games right now. Uh, so like, I guess walk me through just I guess surface level, um, like what what is this game? What are you doing? Like, when you start the game, what is your goal? What is What are you actually doing when you're playing the game? Sure. So, um, New Leaf is actually slightly different. So, let me explain the, uh, the normal gameplay route and then sure. um, how New Leaf innovated on that. Um, so, in the, the first several games, you are a villager um, yourself. You move to this new town. Um, you're the only person. Everybody else is an animal. Um, and whenever you move to town, a lovely fellow by the name of Tom Nook meets you and says, Hey, welcome to town. Do you want a house? I will give you an interest-free loan, and you, I will build you a house. So you say, Okay, sure. And um, he builds you the house, and then he's like, Pay up. <laughs> <laughs> So then you have to earn money so that you can pay for your house. And you do that by doing chores for the villagers, collecting fruit and selling it, collecting other items around the world and selling it. Um, and then you can also buy furniture to decorate your house. And then once you pay off your loan, Tom Nook says, hey, nice house. Do you want a bigger house? <laughs> 
And that keeps happening until you have got the biggest house that you can possibly get in the game. Um, okay. Most people consider that to be the end of the game, but you can keep going, obviously. But the uh, the main goal for a lot of people is to get the biggest house and have it completely decorated the way they want um, and have their loan completely paid off. So okay. what... What um, New Leaf did that was different was they let you be the mayor of the town. So that meant that you could do things like do public works projects and set ordinances. And you were the person, whenever there was any event, um, Animal Crossing has a lot of real-time in-game events. Um, and whenever there was any event, you would be the, the uh, person that was, you know, giving out the awards or whatever. Um, so being the mayor was a little bit of a change in the gameplay because you still played, you still paid off your house and all of that stuff, but you also ran the town. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah. in some ways it's almost got more of a Sim City vibe in that you're doing other stuff for the city. In the previous games, you're just in control of your house. Right, right. And to a certain extent, um, the landscape around, like you can okay. plant trees or cut down trees and uh, plant flowers and things like that. Um, and each game is kind of giving you more and more control over your environment. Mm. So in the new game, um, it's actually taken it to a whole nother level where you can actually change the landscape, which oh. is people are really excited about. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Uh, so is that like... Is that stuff auto-generated when you start the game, or is that going to be like you can use a bulldozer and you know flatten out this terrain or create a hill over there or plant trees over there? Do, do you know what that is coming down the road? Or um, Yeah, so right now um, it's auto-generated. You have a couple of... Um or there's not a couple, but there's several different patterns of land that you can get in the um, the games that have come out previously. Mm -hmm. So in the new game, what you'll be able to do is actually just essentially sculpt the land. You can make a waterfall, you can make a new river, you can, um, you know, change the, where the there's a hill. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that in the new game, but that's never been uh, available before. So gotcha. I'm... Yeah, so I'm not 100% sure exactly how it's going to work, but I'm looking you forward to finding out. You can't read the out. future? No! Damn it, Lauren. <laughs> but no, that's, that's cool. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting a, a fuzzy picture now. This is, uh, and in my head, like, I've got a, a scale that on one end is The Sims and the other end is Sim City. And this is decidedly more towards The Sims than Sim City, but you know, slightly away because you have a little more control over some things. Yes, um, yes. Yes, and, and there's lots of like other... each one kind of goes down the path a little more. Yes, um, yes, definitely. And, okay. you know, there's lots of other stuff that you can do too, like um, fishing and, and catching bugs and um, things like that. And there's all the games have mini games in them as well. Okay. Um, so New Leaf actually had an island that you could go to where you could do mini games and you could play with other people. Um, you can invite people to your island, and you can play games together, um, which was a fairly new thing, too. Um, that was really cool. So is that a multiplayer aspect, like actual mm -hmm. other people? Okay. Yes, yes, actual other people. You've you've been able to invite people to your town, I think, since the, D, the first DS one, which was, um, I want to say, I can't remember the name for sure. I think it's Wild, Wild World. 
something like that. Um, and uh, yes. so you've been able, yeah, you've been able to invite people in your game at least since then. I'm not 100% sure about the GameCube one. Okay. Um, and um, people have been able to, like, walk in your village and everything. But there was a limit to what they could do. Um, they could, like, do mean things like chop down trees um, or plant flowers if they were being nicer. But there wasn't, like, any, like, set mini games or anything. Um, I think New Leaf was the first one that really let you do that. Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, it sounds like you've loved uh, the entire series and New Leaf is the only one in the, the past decade to come out. So it kind of relegated to, to that one in a way. Um but is is New Leaf your favorite? Like of all of them, do you have a favorite? I guess. Um, New Leaf definitely would be my favorite. Okay. It kind of is like the Smash Brothers Ultimate of the the uh, Animal Crossing series, in that they took a lot of the great stuff from the other ones and put it together in one package. However, we'll see if the new game dethrones that. <laughs> <laughs> but right now, yes, it is my favorite. Okay. Um, Yes, they introduced some new characters and new features that were really great, um, uh, and that really captured a lot of people's imaginations. Okay, so what is it that what is it that really captures the imagination? Is it just like the the relationships that you build with the the townsfolk of Animal Crossing? Is that the name of the town? Is it Animal Crossing, or what do you name it? Is what does Animal Crossing refer to? The town is whatever you name it. Um, okay. Animal Crossing um, is the just the translation of the Japanese title, um, okay. which is like the, I think the Japanese title is something like Animal Village or something like that. Um, yeah, so they just fancied it up a little bit for English. Um, but uh, yeah, I think for a lot of people, it is the um, the villagers and your relationships, and then also. Um, you know, obtaining everything and, and doing the little chores. It's very relaxing. Mm -hmm. um, so I tried to play Stardew Valley and it was too stressful for me because <laughs> everything's on a timer mm. and an animal crossing traditionally has been very relaxed. You do things whenever you want. Um, okay. You know, it aligns to the real world clock, but you can change your internal clock and, time travel they call it um if you want to so like when it's winter here it will snow in the game oh, um that's cool yeah uh they have holiday events so like at christmas time they have an event um they don't call it christmas for obvious reasons but they have a holiday event um, life day obviously yeah essentially <laughs> Um, and so they have lots of things like that that are, are uh, really interesting and, and you're like, oh, what's, what's new, you know? Yeah. Um, so they, they keep things interesting in that way. And because they keep adding new things, there's more and more things that you have to complete if you want to get everything in the game. Mm. Um, but I do want to give a special shout out to the characters in New Leaf because I think that one in particular... <laughs> Has really captured the internet's imagination, and that's Isabel. Okay. Um, have you? Are you familiar with Smash Brothers at all? Um, Smash Brothers sixty four, sure. Oh, but um, not the current. Not really anything since then. Yeah. So Isabel is the mayor's assistant. Okay. In Animal Crossing, and she's a very cute dog. Um, oh, is, is that the um? Is that the uh, the thing that I've seen with the Doom, um, 
because and yeah, both uh, the new Doom and Animal Crossing are coming out on the same day, as the whole world seems to know and loves to find. I guess ironic. Uh, but there's like a GIF of uh, like a little yellow puppy dog with the Doom shotgun, and she fires it, and like she goes flying back out of the screen. Yes, uh, that's so, Isabel. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Yes, yes I know who yes. Isabel is then. Yes. So she is also um, the internet's uh, new waifu. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say new anymore, but um, oh. yeah. So be, just have safe search on whenever you uh, <laughs> Google okay. image uh, Isabel. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will just let everybody else find that gift. Then I won't go searching for it because. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, I don't know why I find that incredibly amusing, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> that is, I was not expecting that when when you started talking about Isabel. There, I was. I don't know yes. why. I should have because it's the internet. <laughs> but I, I wasn't. You know, I honestly don't get it. I'm sure. I mean, I'm not the right gender, obviously, but yeah, I don't entirely get it. But yeah, it's a thing. It's a very real thing. Okay. Right. Um, well, yes. Yeah. And we'll just leave that. If if you yeah. want to go down that avenue, then listeners, you you can do that. Yes. <clears> so <throat> there's yeah. other characters that have been in the series and have their own memes as well. So um, Tom Nook, the guy that sells you the house, um, he a lot of people really don't like Tom Nook. Tom Nook because of the whole loan thing. Sure. Although I honestly think he's very generous to give you an interest-free loan. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yes, but there are a lot of memes with him um, because of uh, you know him being "quote unquote" evil. He's the man, right? Right. <laughs> uh, and um, there's also a dog named KK Slider, white dog, and he's kind of like a chill um, busker type, performs in clubs. Mm. And he's been there since the beginning. Him and Tom Nook, Tom Nook have both been there since the beginning. Okay, interesting. So, I well, I guess you know the the new game is coming out. It is um, early March that we're recording this, and the it, it'll just be getting ever closer. Uh, the the new game and Doom will both be coming out very soon. Um, and everybody, I guess, should go by both. I don't know. I'm going to be playing Ori in the Blind Forest or Ori in the Will of the Wisps, so I, <laughs> I don't care about either one of those. Uh, but what what about the new game besides, I guess, stuff like um, you know the terrain deformation and being able to sculpt that? Is there anything else that like you're super excited about with the the new game coming out? Well, the new game is um, actually quite a bit different in some ways because. <laughs> Instead of going to a town, you're going to a deserted island, and you have to build everything. So they've really upped the crafting. Um, okay. The New Leaf was the first one, I think, that really let you do any kind of crafting, um, but it was pretty minimal. It was basically like you change the color of furniture, some, things like that. But um, the new game is going to have full-on crafting, where you gather the materials, and you cra- you have a crafting table, and you make you know a chair or a fire or, you know, a tent or whatever. So they've really upped that portion of the game. Um, and I think that's going to expand um, the time it takes to collect everything and, and your investment in your island um, by quite a bit mm. uh, because you're going to have to make everything from scratch. <laughs> um, 
or or actually, I guess I should say, I don't know if you have to make everything, but you're going to have to make a lot of stuff from scratch. So it's going to really expand that opening part of the game um, where it's uh, going to take you longer to really get something started. Gotcha. Okay. But I don't know. I guess that, that kind of makes sense. But at the same time, going to a deserted island, like you said, you went to a town and you're the only person there. So I feel like that's kind of deserted as well. So... Is it just the fact that it's an island that makes it more remote and you have to craft everything? Or how, is, how does, how does well, that make it different? I guess it depends on how you define a person. Um, I guess I maybe I should have said you're the only human. Because mm. the animals are pretty much... I mean, they have houses and oh, okay. um, furniture and, gotcha. and all of that stuff. So they're, they talk to you. They're, gotcha. they're I, I thought you meant that you were like the sole resident of the town. And you're, oh, no. Which, yeah. which really is not... A town at that point. Uh, but okay, right. that, that makes sense. Yes, um, and so there are going to be animals on the island as well, but I, it also sounds like they're going to come in slower, and you might have a little bit more control about who comes in mm-hmm. um, than in the previous games. Interesting. Increased border control. That's interesting. Let's go. From, uh, yes, that's right. That's... <laughs> Uh, okay, so new crafting and kind of more in-depth crafting, more control over the landscape. I imagine a huge draw is just basically it's it's a new HD um, Animal Crossing, and it's been like eight years now. So really, any Animal Crossing is probably <laughs> is probably good. You know, it really is because we got the mobile game um, and the mobile game was such a huge disappointment for so many Animal Crossing fans that I think people are very, very excited to have a mainline game on a console um, that's not free to play. (laughs) And with all that is entailed into that, um, you know, it's it's pretty exciting to have all of that. Nice. So I I did not I don't remember anything about the mobile game was that what was besides the fact that mobile games are kind of terrible um what what was up with that one Um you know it was free to play so it had a lot of free free to play mechanics um sure. a lot of like time based things that were very tedious so like they would have events like pretty much every week and it would be like you can only get this rare piece of furniture if you do this task and they would be these really labor intensive things that would take you hours to do or you could Mm. just pay coins and get it (laughs) you know that kind of a thing um so it really really uh heavily relied on fomo and uh uh, yeah, it got kind of stressful, which is the whole point of Animal Crossing is that it's not stressful. <laughs> so it was, um, and it wasn't a full featured game. Um, it's been a while since I played it. I haven't played it since launch. So I'm trying to, I mean, you don't have a town, I don't think. Yeah, I'm struggling to remember even like what the gameplay cycle was like. It was not a, a typical Animal Crossing game, but okay. yeah. Gotcha, but you have the name, and it carries certain connotations, so yeah, I can see right, yeah, and the same reoccurring characters as well. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, very cool. Well, is there is there anything about um, New Leaf that you want to say? Any final thoughts? 
that's a good question. <laughs> uh, if if the new game is as good as New Leaf, I think that um, I will be spending many, 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 many hours with it. Um, and if it includes another free update two or three years down the road, I will have to give Nintendo even more props. I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen, though. It'll probably be DLC at this point. <laughs> probably. probably. Yeah, yeah. I think they may have already announced DLC, so um, mm. <laughs> sadly, I think the days of the free update are over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but but I think that uh, New Leaf is worth playing even with the new game coming out because it is going to be a little bit different um, of a game. Well, I think that does it for uh, our conversation about New Leaf. Lauren, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me about the game. And uh, we'll be back in just a little bit to talk about more video game stuff. Hey everybody, and we are back to talk about more of our favorite games from the past decade. Uh, if you didn't listen to the previous segments for whatever reason, uh, basically this uh, for this upcoming year, for 2020, we're going to be talking about for some of our, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to be talking about uh, some of our favorite games over the past 10 years, and... Uh, every segment, we'll be talking to somebody different about a different game. And in this segment, I'm talking with Alex Mateo. Alex, how are you doing? I am good. How are you? I'm doing great. I am glad to be sitting down uh, to talk with you uh, about uh, a really obscure game uh, that nobody's ever heard of. But, you know, it, it is a little different because I don't remember any other Mario games where you could choose between, um, you know... Mario and Princess Peach, and you had the the Spear of Leonidas, and you mm -hmm. were tracking down a cult of. Uh, wait, I'm confusing this with another Odyssey game, aren't I? Damn it. Maybe. I said I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> anyway, no. So we are talking about uh, Super Mario Odyssey. Uh, it does not involve assassinations, um, or or does it? You know. Ooh, mm. interesting. Does it? Mm. Does it involve? Well, you know what what happens when you throw a hat on something, and possess it. In a sense, are you assassinating it? You are assassinating its soul, so in a way, yes. Mm. Yeah. Okay, there we go. I mean, when, so this when you come out of the Assassin's Creed universe. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> what were you going to say when you come out of it? What? And I guess it dies? It's gone? Uh, actually, I was... Well, actually, it does stay around, but eventually mm. it does disappear. So I think that okay. does count as assassination. Sure. Sure, because, I mean, bodies fade in, in other games where you kill things. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, you totally. know, it's a very, very family-friendly way of showing that. That's <laughs> Which is what it's Nintendo's like, about, so that's... that's right, that's right. So, I mean, up. basically, there, there's, there's an ability in Assassin's Creed Odyssey where you can throw the spear um, and you can, like, chain-link kills on people. Uh, and it's basically, you know, you're throwing the hat mm -hmm. and, in a way, kind of chain-linking kills. Um, this is a dark game. Mm. This is this is a new side of Mario. Actually, yep. it's not really because he's been like mass murdering Goombas mm. uh, for I don't know what thirty, forty years now. So mm. and you know the bricks, honestly, the bricks that he destroys in the original sure. Mario Brothers. They're they're basically yeah. like the mushroom people. They're they're residents who are turned <laughs> into blocks. So he is also killing innocents 
just to get coins. Mario is a, a maniac. He's a menace. Yeah, this is, he should be stopped. This is this pretty is, much an expose on Mario, not a yeah. game of the decade. No, chat. no, this is this has changed. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like J. Jonah Jameson right now, and like we need to we need to start doing, um, you know, press. We should do. Uh, well, as you said, an expose to expose mm-hmm. the menace that is Mario. Mario Mario, as he is better known, because mm. uh, he's part of the Mario Brothers. Yes. Uh, Luigi should probably be thrown in there, too, as well. He kills ghosts and stuff. Um, that's true, but they're already if, dead, like, so they had it coming, I guess. That's. <laughs> but you're killing them on top of them already being dead. Like, I feel like that's enough punishment. I guess. Like, and we don't know what happened to them to, to make them dead the first time. They could have been innocent bystanders. Uh, like like the mushroom people that were turned into bricks. I also want to accuse Mario of uh, abusing Yoshi. Um, okay, he uh, always drops him in you know in bottomless uh, bottomless that is holes true. just to get. He he uses him a to, as a jumping platform. Yes, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, that is that is terrible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Mario is a terrible, terrible person, and he does not deserve to be on a games of the decade list. There we go. Pretty much, yeah. You heard it here from from Dark Station. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in, in all actuality, uh, when Mario Odyssey came out, a lot of people really loved it. I think we actually talked about it um, as uh, one of your favorite games yeah, a couple of I, years I, ago. I put it as um, uh, my game of the year um, for 2017. Yeah. Um, so and we must have yeah. chatted about it then because that's what we I do. So. Yeah, that, that is what we that do. That is what we that's, do. It's the purpose of the podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people actually listen. The whole, for me, the whole point is the talking. Uh, I don't remember anything I said last time. So if I okay. uh, repeat myself or contradict myself, just ignore I, I ignore the first either, so. the first one. Um, you should probably also just ignore the the first part of this podcast as well. Because yeah. I don't. Who knows what we just said? That was like a fever dream, right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was fun. Luckily, was fun. none of so, it will be edited out. So, yay! No, dear God, yeah, no, no, not no. doing that. that not that would at be all. Awful. No one has time for that. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, but so, so Super Mario Odyssey. Um, I mean, obviously, let's see. Uh, when did Galaxy and Galaxy Two come out? Those were those pre two thousand ten. I I want to say that Super Mario Galaxy Two actually is twenty ten. So it, okay, it is eligible if you know <laughs> someone uh, picks it. Someone as else wanted to talk favorite. about that one. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Super Mario Galaxy One is definitely before that. Um, but they were also very good games. Um, and the last 3D games, uh, you know, proper 3D Mario games uh, mm-hmm. to come out, you know, with Super Mario 64, you know, uh, trailblazing in an N64 um, right. in 1996. And then Super Mario Sunshine coming out on GameCube, you know, later. Um, mm-hmm. The Mario Galaxy games were the last Mario games that were in this 3D style, and even they were a little different um, because right. um, whereas Mario 64 and Super Mario Sunshine were more, you know, open exploration sandbox games uh, focused on, like, you know, the collectibles and, you know, the exploration, uh, mm-hmm. Mario Galaxy is more uh, linear. It, it really does play more like a 2D, um, you know, just like a, a 3D version of a, you know, a typical 2D side scroller where you're really just mm-hmm. going from area to area in a very uh in a very linear fashion. Um gotcha. it's still really fun and it, you know it does have, you know, obviously like 3D analog movement, but it it 
it's not quite as sandbox based as the first two. Um, and then there's Super Mario 3D World, which is like just completely different, and it's not really in the same breed of, uh, you know, 3D Mario proper titles. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was just looking at you know some of the uh, the previous Mario releases, and it's it's interesting uh, how steady Nintendo has been with new Mario titles, whereas it, it seems like a lot of their other um, franchises they they like to dish out much less regularly. And it feels like in maybe maybe the 2000s, uh, you know, the first 10 years of, of this century, uh, we didn't get as many Mario games as we've gotten in, like, the last 10 years. But we've gotten 3D Land. We've gotten 3D World. Mm-hmm. Um, we got uh, New Super Mario's U, which was that just a, basically a Wii U version of New Super Mario Brothers? No. The, uh, the Wii? The, the Wii, New Super Mario Brothers U is... Um, is a new game. I mean, it's a just okay. a, it's a sequel. It's a two D sequel, and it also okay. got a uh, re release on the Switch. Um, okay, yeah, gotcha. Um, so, and then there was New Super Mario Brothers two. Um, so, I mean, we've had like I don't know half a dozen kind of like relatively big releases, and not to ignore Super Mario Maker. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like with all the Mario that we've kind of gotten in the past ten years, what makes Super Mario Odyssey? Uh, the game that you want to talk about right now. So, um, well, actually, uh, just just going back just a little, uh, Super Mario Maker is also one of the games that I am putting forth for this game of the decade. Um, sure, and I really but we're not think, talking about that right now. Yeah, you I'll, can answer I'll, the I'll, question I'll, for that then. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't talk about that totally right now. I'm just going to use it as a springboard, as a Yoshi, okay. if you will, Ooh, to oh, talk about good. Odyssey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so game, like f- first of all, personally, I love the Mario series. I grew up with Mario and Nintendo, um, and they have, like, you know, Super Mario World and Super Mario 64 are probably, like, my in my top three games of all time. Like, just two mm-hmm. Mario games are just up there. Um, so uh, Super Mario Maker, uh, which I will talk about one day, is the, I think, one of the pinnacles of just how far you can go with 2D um, because you can really do anything. Um, You know, and I'll talk about that in the future, but Mm -hmm. Super Mario Odyssey, I think, is the pinnacle of the 3D games, of the 3D Mario games. Um, It expands upon what Super Mario 64, particularly that game, um, you know, did. And... It just adds so much creativity and life into the Mario franchise uh, that I really do think it's uh, unless they go even more off the walls with their uh, creativity, it's going to be hard to top, at least within the so, next few years. So by more off the walls, you're saying like if you if Mario took off his pants and threw that at somebody and possessed them. I mean, Mario that, takes off his going? shirt in this game and you can see his nipples. So wow, that is a that, thing that doesn't, that doesn't sound Odyssey. family friendly. Family friendly, like you were saying that it, it is. I mean, uh, that's. I mean, that's, well, Mar- Mario nipples. That sounds. Hmm. Humans have nipples, Jonathan. It's okay. I mean, they they <laughs> they do, but I never really thought about Mario having nipples. Yeah, well, no one did until now. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, back to back to the non nipple part of Super Mario Odyssey. Um, it is a Which, return. Is that, is that most of it, or is most of it actually the nipple part? That it's maybe like twenty five percent. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, mostly because there's a photo mode. So, yeah, that's... Mm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey is a return to form of the game that start You know, for the game that started it all. Uh, the um, Super Mario 64. So, it is a sandbox 3D game where you go around collecting moons... Where Mario goes around collecting moons. He has all the, you know, the acrobatic 3D platform uh, moves that he has in previous 3D titles. And mm-hmm. he also has the ability to transform into his enemies. So he can transform into Goombas, uh, Bullet Bills, Cheap Cheeps, by throwing his hat, uh, which is a sentient cap now, named Cappy. And when he throws his cap at the enemy, he he becomes them. He captures them is the official wording for it um and it's really cool because it's basically like you just become this other character with this unique move set and the level design which is you know ingeniously uh crafted to um foster these new enemies uh moves uh it's just like a beautiful combination of just Mario platforming and like probably like a half dozen spin-offs that they wanted to make. Um Yeah, so let's see. I think that the transformations um remind me a lot of Banjo-Kazooie. Uh and you know that ukulele that kind of game uh mm. which was one of my favorites also growing up as well as, you know, uh I think a good rival to Super Mario 64 on the Nintendo 64. So okay. Banjo Kazooie also had transformations, you know, one per level, you know, one or less per level where you just become this different um creature and it's usually used to help Banjo and Kazooie uh be small enough to go in, you know, tiny holes. Like it's like, "Oh, a bear is too large to fit under a, you know, under a hole." Let's transform them into a pumpkin so they can fit under the hole. It's very basic. It's just like, isn't it cool to be a termite now or whatever? Uh, <laughs> with Mario, it just feels like they really thought about that first and then mm. crafted a world that is based on what that um, what that creature can do. Um, mm-hmm. And why I think this is because... A lot of the creatures in the game, a lot of the enemies are brand new to Super Mario Odyssey. And they do very unique things. They have very unique attacks against you. Because when you capture it, you will be able to do those crazy off-the-wall things yourself. So uh, examples are uh, in the Wooded Kingdom, uh, in you know this foresty area, you can become this like little plant uh, called an uproot. uproot mm-hmm. And by... You know, by pressing a button, you can, you know, extend your uh, extend your roots, extend your um, legs, and bounce off it to reach really high platforms or dodge attacks. Um, so a lot of the level, a lot of this world is vertical, so th- and maze like, so that you have to figure out how can I best like uh, move as this springy creature because he moves very springy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and he do- he doesn't really move normally. He doesn't really walk. He just you know he doesn't really run fast. He he moves primarily by springing himself up. So th- the challenge is how do I get around the world springing 
myself up? And what are all of these challenges that test me to master this spring up move? You know, and it culminates in a boss, which is like really smart because uh, you're dodging lasers. So if you're finding like a UFO, basically, and you're dodging lasers by springing your, you know, extending your legs to jump over the lasers and then finally getting under the UFO and like springing the glass under it to like destroy it. Um, and then another uh, really clever one is another really clever enemy is uh, the the Pokio, which you use in one of the last kingdoms, which mm-hmm. is, is basically a bird with a really long beak. And you use that beak to stick onto the wall, sort of like, you know, woodpecker style. But okay. you use the woodpecker's beak, and it's not a woodpecker, it's a pokeo, whatever. It's You use the beak to basically propel yourself um, up or, you know, horizontally through these walls. Uh, and you have to do that while avoiding the metal walls, which, you know, you, your, beak cannot, uh, your beak cannot penetrate. So sure. the whole world, it's also a vertical world, <laughs> uh, but it, it's based on springing you know it's it's the same kind of movement vertical momentum to rise to the top while all the wall is full of all of these moving mechanisms and metal walls trying to prevent you from climbing and making you start over um so i just think that that's a really great way of setting up a transformation based game cuz Mario's you know Mario's no stranger to transformations he he becomes fire mario tanuki mario sure uh, he even dons a penguin suit at some point um mm-hmm. but this is more than that it's like really becoming the enemy and seeing what can we do with the enemy is you know what i assume the developers were thinking and what world can we make so that the the whole world is a playground for that captured enemy um, so that's, that's one of the factors of why I really like it, but, you know, the more base factor is that it is a really, uh, well-executed Mario title that is more in line with Super Mario 64 and to an extent Super Mario Sunshine, as opposed to like Galaxy 1 and 2 and the 3D World games. Um, mm-hmm. it's completely, um, non-linear. It's very open. It's a sandbox. Um... You go around and you collect moons, but unlike Super Mario 64 and Sunshine and Galaxy, when you collect a moon, you stay in the world. You just keep going. You just you just uh, get to stay as opposed to being kicked out of the world and having to jump back in and start at, you know, point one. Um, mm-hmm. And that's actually <laughs> – so, like I said before, I think Banjo-Kazooie was a big rival, even though, you know, Rare made it, but it was also a Nintendo game. Uh, to Super Mario 64, Banjo-Kazooie had that same system where, you know, you have the 10 Jiggies collectibles per level, and once you get one, you keep moving on in the level instead of getting kicked out. So now Super Mario Odyssey has this, and it really works well because once you get a moon, you want to keep going, right? And explore more of the level instead of, like, having to leave. And... It especially works for Mario Odyssey because there are like 880 moons, uh, which is That's a couple. is like eight times. <laughs> it's it's a lot more than Super Mario 64's 120 stars. Um, yeah, it's a ridiculous number. Uh, one world will have 
like a hundred moons. <laughs> uh, and they're all, you know, sometimes it does, it, it can feel a little like, you know, cheap. Like I'll get five moons within several minutes just because they're all right there. Um, mm-hmm. But then there are also really clever, cha- you know, there are really um, difficult challenges, um, you know, special obstacle rooms and just really well hidden ones that, um, you know, even though there are a lot of moons at some point, it will, the collecting will slow down and you're just going to be thinking, where are these last like five moons? Sure. Or why can't I beat this level? Why is it so hard that I can't get this moon? Um, so it basically just magnifies the collectathon to, you know, 11. <laughs> and th- for someone like me who grew up with 3D collectathons and who doesn't see much now, you know, I think we're sort of at the time where we are seeing more 3D collectathon games come back, like Ukulele, I Had in Time. Um, you know, and now, you know, mostly we've been getting a lot of 2D games. Like we had the 2D Renaissance and we're still having that, uh, 3D games kind of died off. And we, I feel like when it was the two thousands, I, we were thinking, oh, 3D is the new future. We're always going to see 3D platforming games. Um, and then suddenly, no, it's the, now the market is saturated with 2D platforming uh, side scrollers. Um, so I really think that Odyssey, much like 60 Mario 64 before it, is setting a new age of platformers, setting a new standard of what 3D platformers should look like. And and yeah. So what what exactly is that? So I mean, you've talked about some of the interesting things that you can do in that, but I mean, I feel like the hat mechanics aren't necessarily something that other games need to pull away from this. I mean, if they do, if they want to do something similar to it, then, I mean, that's great. People, you know, are inspired by other people all the time. Um, But, I don't know, from the outside, I still haven't played this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will one day. I'll also get a Switch one day. Who knows? Um, But, I don't know, seeing this game from the outside, it doesn't seem like fundamentally different than any other 3D um, platformer. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, like, with game like uh, Breath of the Wild for Zelda, mm-hmm. I think that's a game that really uh, revolutionized the Zelda series, you know, okay, sure. which, which it did it so differently. I think instead of revolutionizing 3D platforming, I think what Mario really mm-hmm. does is it kind of, you know... I'm, I'm going to use a very absolute word here, but I think it perfects it. Like, okay. it, it just takes what's there and, you know, really just honely crafts it so that it's the best that it can be. Like, they put a lot of eggs into just making this game, like, the best 3D platformer it can be. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in this modern times. So... What I liked about it is that, you know, it's part, it is part nostalgia, of course. But I, I would say that a lot of people have nostalgia for Mario. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, especially 3D Mario, which is, you know, a lot of people have wanted a comeback, um, you know, since Galaxy 2, which was a decade ago. Right. Um, and then even further back, the last Mario game that really had this sandbox style, which was Mario Sunshine, which was even further back for GameCube. Uh, this is a game that really 
you know, pulls at those nostalgic, uh, tugs at those nostalgic heartstrings and really says, like, this is 3D Mario. And, you know, we, uh, my hope is that they will keep making games that have this, like, you know, have this just, you know, I, I don't want to say like effort, but like have this different style of, you know, different type of effort put into it where it's not just a um, something that you kind of put out together because people want 3D, but it's like almost like a labor of love to the genre, which is not as lot, you know, as living as it could be, you know? Okay. Um, and then another thing that I think contributes to that, you know, where I say like, it really feels like they tried with this one as opposed to like the, the myriad of 2d games that they, you know, kind of just put out every now and then. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that this game really, um, it doesn't settle for, um, the tired tropes of Mario g- games mm-hmm. or platformers. Um, you know, like, you know, uh, it's, it's common for a Mario game to have the first level fo- the first world being the grassy plains world followed by a desert, you know, and then, uh, you know, then like an ice level somewhere, a mountain world, a fire world, Bowser's castle, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. Right. Um, the worlds here are some of the, you know, the craziest worlds that I've seen in platformers. Um, you, well, you have, you have this desert with like orangish reddish sand that's completely like it's frozen over. So it's sort of like an icy desert. And so Mario's goal is to try to warm it up, but it, it has the desert theme, but there's, you know, there's ice all around it. There's like an underground ice cavern and the, there's a, basically a village full of skeletons that look like they are celebrating, um, the day of the dead, you know, okay. Uh, the Mexican day of the dead. Um, then you have, so the wooded area, which I, um, previously referenced is it's a dome. It's a forest dome, but it's also this kind of like steampunk area full of robots, uh, that wash the, wash the flower, you know, wash the flowers. And all the while it's playing like this, surfing song so it's it's like sort of like feels like this mishmash of ideas that work um you know like i could go on like the the volcano area the lava area is actually this uh neon geometric world of food so there's just all all this giant food there's stew there's a giant stew where the final where the boss takes place there are these like crystallized vegetables and like a a pink bed of lava in this supposedly fire world. Like it's, it really feels more like, you know, like what's for lunch, neon, crazy sci-fi world. (laughs) And then one of the biggest, uh, one of my favorite areas is new donk city, which is like one of the first areas they introduced with this game. And it's just a playground of, it's like a city playground. Like it kind of feels like, you know, when you're playing games, like, you know, Tony Hawk or Grand Theft Auto where you're in the city and you just want to kind of explore um, and have fun doing tricks on the, you know, on skyscrapers or rails. This is the Mario equivalent. Like, you are jumping on taxis, swinging on traffic poles, you know, uh, 
scaling skyscrapers. It's it's such a fun playground in a setting that is not normal to Mario either. Even though he's supposedly from Brooklyn, he looks nothing like the accurately real-sized humans that are in that world. Uh, it's right. just nuts. That is nuts. Have they talked about why Mario is not proportioned the same way that the other humans of New Donk City are? Is he even a human? Um, yeah, who knows? But you know what? Yeah. He Maybe it's because he needs a super mushroom to grow. Hmm. You know? It's weird sure. because Pauline, which is a character in the Mario universe, you know, like with Roots and Donkey Kong, is in the game... You know, and it it is a triumphant return for her as well. So it's it's sort of like a nostalgic celebration, and you know, now Pauline's back again. It feels so surreal. It's she's popular again. Um, she is a character that looks like sort of like Peach, but she's proportioned sort of like the regular human. So it it, it none of this makes sense, you know. <laughs> but it looks really cool when you mishmash all of these styles together. And I, I think they really put out their creative juices with this one. And uh, while I don't necessarily think they can top this just because they've already done it, I think we if we saw Super Mario Odyssey 2 and we just saw more inventive styles, like just taking Mario all over the place, mm. you know, it, it would be like just an excellent Super Mario Galaxy 2-like sequel. Okay. So if they were to announce... Uh, the next big 3D Mario game. Would you want it to be something totally new and different, or would you want to see a Galaxy 2, um, you know, that that type of evolution of what they've already done? I could go for either. I really think that they could okay. do more with Super Mario Odyssey's capture mechanic. Um, As I mentioned, pants. Yeah, we, we could have uh, just... We could have all over the place. Like, Mario's yeah. costumes could... You know, just be like pants on his chest and stuff like that. Um, But if, you know, and I'm not them making the game. So if they could make something that's just totally out of left field that, you know, even if it doesn't have the capture mechanic, but it has all the creativity that was poured into the worlds and characters and enemies design of this game and just did something different and just did something, you know, not necessarily better, but just completely mind-blowingly different. Then I would be up for that too. As just as long as it has that uh, Mario feel of the way he moves, just he has just this nimble, agile, uh, acrobatic way of moving. That's that's what makes the Mario 3D franchise work. Works. Cool. So yes, I, I pretty. I mean, like if they, I'd play any game that they made. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm asking if there's one that you, if, if there's one that you want more. I mean, obviously. If it's something brand new, uh, you don't know that you want it until right. they tell you you do. Um, I think Steve Jobs and Henry Ford uh, both were famous for saying something along the lines: "If you if you give people what we uh, what you think that they want, then we'd all still be in horse drawn carriages or whatever." Um, so, putting that aside, it just if I don't know would. Would you rather have something – do you think that there's enough more with the kind of core concept of Odyssey that there should be an Odyssey 2 or should they move on to something else? I guess is, is maybe that's a better way of asking it. I think there's always room for like just more. 
And okay. I think the Galaxy 2 showed us, and pretty much any every Mario sequel, and pretty much any sequel to any game has shown us there's always more you could do with the base concept. Um, and if they did something completely new, that would be great. I think my what I like, I like the capture mechanics so much that whether or not they go in a completely different direction or stay the same, I want them to say, you know, this capture mechanic, this is just the way Mario transforms now. You know, how he used to get, how he used to collect hats or how he used to collect fire flowers and invincibility stars. This is just the new standard for 3D. That's what I mm. am hoping to see. Like, even if, like, the the next focus is on something different and something even better, maybe, even evolved, I want them to look at the capture mechanic and say, but that was so fun. Let's still incorporate that whether or not we build the same kind of game around it or evolve, but keep this as a core mechanic. And the fact that that mechanic is so like beloved to me right now is why I think that, you know, this is a game that's worthy of being like the 3d platformer and game of the decade. Okay. Sounds good. Yep. Well, yeah. Any final thoughts about uh, super Mario Odyssey before we, uh, um, Move on. Trying to think. I. I mean, no. I. I. Unless you have like a specific question about it, I feel like I've. I've said why I love the game so much and why it's. It is really important. And um, I will say that currently, you know, with games like Breath of the Wild and Super Smash Brothers Ultimate out, uh, games I love very dearly. I still think that currently Super Mario Odyssey is my favorite game on the Nintendo Switch. Period. Mm. Okay, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that uh, so this game is all about throwing a hat and uh, capturing, not possessing, uh, capturing an enemy and kind of using its abilities? Um, do you think it's time for a new like classic Kirby game where instead of throwing a hat, you're you know sucking people up and then taking their powers from there? So like a two D game. Or you mean a 3D game? Or 3D, 3D. whatever. Yeah, like, I, but just like, I don't know. We had Epic Yarn, and we've had mm-hmm. other various Kirby games, but I don't think anything's been on the, I don't want to say on the level, because that doesn't sound quite right. Um, but just, we haven't had a classic Kirby game, whether it's 3D or 2D. I feel like since like the Super Nintendo. Well, I will correct you there and say that Kirby just had a game on Switch. Um, okay. Which was, let's see, when was it released? I think 2018? Um, but Kirby Star Allies is that game. Okay. But what, wasn't that like a multiplayer game or something? I'm, I'm well, trying to remember. I don't... Well, you can play it solo. I mean, it, it's, I think just in general, they will always pretty much make Kirby games that are multiplayer. Um, just like with Mario, I feel like, in the future, we're always just going to get 2D. If they make a new 2D Mario game that's not a, you know, a, a port or Mario Maker, mm-hmm. um, it's just going to be multiplayer because that's, you know, people want multiplayer. And they, they're designing true. the worlds that foster it. Uh, Kirby Star Allies is a traditional Kirby game that incorporates okay. multiplayer. Much like Nightmare in, or not Nightmare, uh, Return to Dreamland on the Wii before it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but what would I want another Kirby game? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I I love Kirby, and but I do think that it it's for different um, 
people. Or like oh, yeah. not not no, different but people, I, I but it's just, different styles. Right, but I was just comparing it because one it's basically two ways of kind of um gaining new abilities. Mm-hmm. One is taking over something and the other is kind of consuming it. Um and I feel like that's just kind of weird. What if what if there was a Kirby Mario crossover? Mm, you mean Super Smash Brothers? No. No. <laughs> no, Kirby and Mario. Not not, not other stuff. Just mm-hmm. Kirby and Mario. Like so what if Mario threw the hat to possess Kirby, mm-hmm. and while the hat was being thrown, Kirby swallowed Mario? Mm. Well, I think it would basically boil down to who shot first. Well, at that point, it's basically happening at the same time. Um, well, but if Kirby is sucking, he would probably suck the hat as well. Mm. Okay. So that's there. In this uh, hypothetical death battle scenario, I think Kirby <laughs> would would be the so, true assassin. So if if he sucks in the hat, then he gets the abilities of the hat. Is that really different though than Mario throwing the hat and him and Kirby wearing? The hat? Well, not necessarily. I think that he would have Mario. I think that Kirby would probably have a fireball attack because that is what he canonically gets from Super Smash Brothers when sucking Mario. <laughs> You like my logic here? I mean, I'm just... I do, I do, I do. Um, and you're... See, this is... I'm asking you these questions because you can pull from, you know, you can pull from logic. I'd just be like, the world would end because mm-hmm. I don't know how to answer this question. We would... It would be a, um, uh, like, quantum an- anomaly or something and it would just... Everything would explode. Um, mm. So, fantastic. Okay. Well, Alex, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me about Super Mario Odyssey uh, and talking about all of your tales of going around Greece and assassinating uh, mm-hmm. people to cleanse the world from the cult of Cosmos. That's uh, right. I very much appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And we'll be back in just a little bit to, uh, to talk about more of our favorite games from the past 10 years. Well, that does it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can find more information about the games we discussed below if you're listening on YouTube or in the show notes for this episode on darkstation.com. There you can find the Darkcast Interviews podcast as well as other video game reviews, previews, and features. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com. Find us on Facebook. Check us out on YouTube and email us at podcast at darkstation.com. For David Silbert, Alan Kessinger, Lauren Clark, and Alex Mateo, I'm Jonathan Miley. Thanks again, and until next time, have a good one.